Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Parkscope podcast, an irreverent look at themed entertainment and amusement parks, or something like that. I don't know. I'm, I'm, we're still working on it. We're workshopping it. I hope it's good. Joining me for this part of the podcast, hopefully the whole thing, I don't know. We've, we're trying to do once a month now, so who knows. Uh, joining us is David Doubt. David, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Joe. How about you? Um, it's a beautiful day in Pittsburgh. You know, the 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 pickles are running around. Uh, the Steelers <laughs> are out. All the good stuff. <laughs> classic, classic Pittsburgh. There's Exa- plenty of bridges. All the bridges. So many bridges. Just it's just beautiful out. You know, all the Andy Warhols are out. It's it's just beautiful. Also joining us is Hassan Zalastra. Hassan, how you doing? Hasten, I'm doing great. Am I Hasten? Yes. I keep pronouncing. You see, this is this is my stupid, you know, Western accent getting the worst of me with all my hard con- my hard vowels and consonants. Apologies. Uh, how are you doing? We're doing great. I'm doing great. Good. Um, it's it's beautiful weather here in SoCal as always. <laughs> yes, yeah, seventy and no and no rain, which seventy and a drought like always. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. So, we are here to talk about some fun stuff, but I think the, let's start off with uh, the big, I mean, the big one is your cruise on the Galactic Star Cruiser, but let's also talk about some of the small stuff. Um, Y'all went out to Orlando in a few weeks ago, and you just kind of hung out, and you did some other fun stuff. Do you want to talk about that a little quick? Yeah, so we had a couple extra days. Mm-hmm. So because we were doing the two most expensive nights I think I've ever done somewhere, <laughs> we wanted to offset that. So we ended up booking the Fairfield Inn right across the street from Universal Orlando. And uh, we hung out for a few days in the Universal Parks, um, enjoying all of the, the, the seasonal Mardi Gras offerings. Yeah, because we still had uh, seasonal passes that we bought uh, for Horror Nights last year. So we were able to uh, get in with those, and it's just... And how much were those passes? Uh, what, like $350, something like that? Like, it was... It, it, I, I think they just went up a little bit, but when we bought them, it was marginally more expensive than uh, a two-day park hopper at Walt Disney World, which is just insanity. And we've mm-hmm. probably used those passes like eight, ten days already. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, the, uh, it's ridiculous how good a value those are, especially if you don't need to go like during the summer or anything like that. Yeah, we had a great time. I mean, uh, just... Just a great couple of parks, and especially uh, especially Islands of Adventure. I mean, uh, getting to go these past two times and kind of consume them like locals a little bit, like just just a gorgeous park. Uh, we, I mean, what that first day we spent probably like a good hour, hour and a half just sitting on the waterfront f- behind uh, Popeye's boat. Mm-hmm. Next to the school it's of just fish. A, it- yeah, it's just this absolute perfect, like, at least for us, we were looking for something that was low, you know, low-key, chill, relaxed, didn't have to worry about planning, didn't have to worry about, you know, spending a ton of money before Star Cruiser, and so it was kind of the perfect, kind of the perfect lead-up. 
And like the parks were a little bit crowded, but there's so much to do in those parks that you can kind of, you know, if you don't feel like you have to hit all the big stuff, you can kind of avoid the crowds a little bit. Like we did, of course, E.T. a bunch of times. We did Men in Black a few times. Uh, did uh, uh, did Spider-Man once or twice. Uh, did Kong a couple times. I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. Have a good time. Was this all your first time on Velocicoaster or was that last time? We didn't actually make it on Velocicoaster. Nope, this didn't time. even do okay. it. Didn't even do it this trip. We, we did it last time and okay, enjoyed it okay. a lot. We, That's what it was. Uh, okay. We we got in line at one point and uh, kind of balked at it. We're like, yeah, this is maybe a little bit too long. Let's go. Uh, I think we did Spider Man instead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy going back to like opening like year or two and being like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, Spider Man's the one with the lower weight. <laughs> Oh, and we did, uh, we did, I think it was both of our first time doing it. We did, uh, Dr. Doom's Fearfall, which, uh, who knew that, you know, for a, just, uh, you know, just a, a kind of generic, uh, launch ride, how much theming they pack into that mm-hmm. queue and into that experience. Just one of the most clever, uh, load stations for a ride like that I've ever seen. Just super fun. Like the whole... Marvel Superhero Island is great, and anybody who says otherwise uh, doesn't know what they're doesn't know what they're talking about. It's <laughs> eight trillion times better than Avengers Campus. I think what uh, surprises me about Doom is the pre-show video, like mm-hmm. the Soviet kind of pre-show. Yeah, and and it depends on how good of a actor you get, or like a cast, a team member, um, doing the pre-spiel stuff. Because I will always remember when the Southern Belle did it for us, and she was just going like, "All hail Doctor Doom," and you know, just like all the, just like it, it, the the most insanity. And and what's really great is when the ride goes down, they send all the cast out towards the land with like protest signs for Doctor <laughs> Doom. It's wonderful. <laughs> That's it's, great. Yeah, it's pretty good. And like, I mean, I'm not telling anyone that it's a must-do attraction, but you know, for being a power shot, um, way better than you know the one that California Adventure had or any of the other ones. Definitely oh, yeah. very creative. Insanely creative. I mean, setting up the load station so that I know we're going down a rabbit hole here, but setting up the mm-hmm. load station so that each individual side of the SNS power shot has like its own load and unload area, just mm-hmm. extremely, extremely clever. Yeah, that's right, listeners. You thought you were tuning into an episode about Star Cruiser. <laughs> You're actually getting an hour on Doctor Doom's Fearfall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about uh, all everything in there. I think my only problem is like they need to update the actual projection technology because it's very hard to see and it kind of feels very dusty and old. But maybe that's the aesthetic they're going for. I, I don't know. It's just. I mean, it, we, yeah. we were talking about this a little bit uh, with uh, Spider Man as well. I think the like the stuff that's on kind of like standard size flat screens, I think looks good enough. But the when they've got those big, really oversized projections. Uh, it starts to look a little bit rough and, mm-hmm. you know, AI upscaling is so good these days. And so, you know, like, I think you can, uh, I, I mean, I'm not sure if it's different for like a, a, a professional license, but you know, the, that Topaz AI upscaler is only like 200 bucks and it does a pretty damn good job. 
And look at like the work that like Retro Magic does, you know, uprising all that stuff. Like absolutely they could apply that to all those pre-show videos and make them look mm-hmm. really, really modern. Yeah, even if you want to make them more modern and then derez them in a way to make them look like Doctor Doom's, you know, projection would, at least you'd have a higher res original right. offering and then you could apply whatever you need to with it. And those on-screen captions in that extremely low pixelated, you know, aerial typeface, mm-hmm. it's terrible. <laughs> yes. But they'll fix it. Someday they'll fix it. Universal, if you're listening, I don't know why you would, because you thought we were going to talk about Star Cruiser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Yeah, no, I'm a, I've am always been on the, the front of saying, hey, we need to do something with Doctor Doom. That isn't replacing it because I think it's a good solid attraction. Yeah, uh, they just kind of need to go through it and be like, okay, we need to update this. We need to update this. I mean, they went through and updated the Terminator Two pre-show before, like they destroyed it for Born. So, you know, it, it needs no, something it, like that. It, it's good. It has solid theming. It does not take up much space. I mean, this is kind of the same thing I say about like uh, Montezuma's Revenge in uh, at Knotts. It's like. Okay, you replace it with what? Like it, it's there's there's not uh, there's not enough space there to really do anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so no, I, I don't see any reason to get rid of it. But yeah, go through, give it a nice spit shine, uh, maybe uh, upres some of the video. I think it's great. Yeah, kind of do what they did with uh, with uh, Hulk in a little way. Just yeah. kind of just kind of give it a little attention, and then you're good to go. Totally. Fantastic. So the other thing we want to talk about before we get to Star Cruiser is Mardi Gras, which is I think is arguably the best uh, theme park like seasonal event in Orlando that doesn't cost money. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so good, like was just absolutely not on my radar at all before this trip. Uh, I mean, you know, guess they've been doing it for. 30 years? I mean, who knew? I mean, people I in Orlando knew. 20, but, uh, 25 years? It, something it, crazy, yeah. 26, I think they said at the... Yeah, okay. something like that. Yeah. Um, but Because, yeah, there was a, a year off for the pandemic and uh, all of that. But, you know, good, solid run on that and just so much fun. I mean, uh, the the parade is great uh, from both sides of it. I mean, we, we got to experience it as... Uh, as viewers on uh, before we did Star Cruiser, then afterward, after Star Cruiser, we came back and uh, volunteered to be on one of the floats throwing beads, and that was just an incredible experience. So, so much fun. Mm-hmm. I saw the and, one, and I love yeah. that it's not trying to be more than what it is, and I feel like that works. <clears throat> that works really well, and I feel like when you look at it as a sort of seasonal offering, like all the food booths and the, you know, additional amazing food offerings that are around the park. And, you know, they do that parade every night with what has to have like what, 30 to 40 dancers at, least, at a yeah. minimum. Uh, yes. Yeah, cer- certainly at least that, if not, yeah. you know, plus, you know, hundreds of, you know, get day, you know, guests throwing beads and just great design floats. You know, and we saw the vendor from New Orleans who designs the floats, like fixing them up before we loaded on. Mm. Like, it's just, it's really neat. And it's really, it's weirdly authentic in its own way. Mm-hmm. And so, 
Yeah. Yet it's kind of its own thing. It's 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 phenomenal. And so it's a great just a fun event. Like honestly, I would go back out to Universal for that event. We mm-hmm. enjoyed it so much. Like For sure. What's interesting is that Mardi Gras was really kind of a after it's an it was an afterthought for a long time. Like up until just a few years ago, the parades were on like Friday through Sunday with like the food booths open after 4 p.m. Like if you're really lucky. So mm. the fact that they actually kind of that they actually made this event its own standalone thing that is nightly, which is definitely, you know, really helped by having Diagon Alley in the park. They can actually pull yeah. people out for this. Um, and then also they were doing the parades. They they redo the floats every year. They always have, you know, the gator float, but they redo a different theme every year. Mm-hmm. Um but you know that they have the concert series. But last year with COVID, uh, post COVID, well during COVID, you know before uh, vaccinate vaccinations really took off and all that stuff, they really expanded the food festival aspect of it. So now we have what was the old Mardi Gras, which was a little bit of food, mostly the parade, mostly music, and now you have everything, which is this huge food festival with the parade and the music. And the uh, tribute store, so I I I really like the event. It's really really fun. Yeah, and I, I think we've just seen across the industry that the the whole model of kind of doing these uh, quarterly seasonal festivals has really brought uh, has really been a big boon to the entire uh, theme park and amusement park industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, look look at. Uh, Locally, we've got Knotts, who is just uh, just crushing it. I mean, kind of kind of similar to what you were saying with Mardi Gras, like uh, stuff like the Peanut Celebration uh, and even Boysenberry Festival yeah. initially. Uh, like they were kind of weekend only, and uh, you know, more limited offerings. But this uh, this year, they're doing uh, you know Peanut Celebration. They had stuff. Uh, Every day of the week. I mean, they saved kind of the big entertainment stuff for the weekend, kind of like, you know, the concert series at Universal. But, you know, Mm -hmm. they had all the food offerings. They had a lot of the entertainment. They had, you know, uh, all the decorations. Uh, Boysenberry Festival is what, like two full months now almost? Two full months runs every day. Like, Um, damn. what What started out from entertainment is just like, oh, we brought over... Billy Hill and the Hillbillies from Disneyland has now turned into like, you know, they're doing a dance thing again this year. They're doing like nightly entertainment. They've got fresh daily entertainment, like two, like, a, a you know, the, the peanut show for the kids. Like it's phenomenal how much they've invested in that. And, and the park is just packed. I mean, we, we went, uh, on what, like a, like a Saturday, like, uh, third weekend of January or something like that for peanut mm-hmm. celebration. And it was like Christmas level crowds. Like it's just nuts. And you know, not to rant here, but it makes all the Epcot festivals just look so boring in comparison. Yeah. That, that was a big thing that, so last time we went in 2021 with, I went with my sister and this is her first time into the universal parks period. And we did Mardi Gras and we saw the first nut, first day of Flower and Garden, and we did Mardi Gras. And she's like, Mardi Gras blew the doors off of Flower and Garden. And that was without the parades or the concerts or anything. She's like, the food was better, more affordable, less people, just more enjoyable of a festival. 
And I, it's hard to argue. Festivals have just become so rote that there's no, you know, there's no inspiration and there's no like, like I think the last time we saw any sort of inspiration at Epcot was that first two years of Festival of the Arts. Yes. Mm-hmm. When they were really trying to figure it out. And then after that, it was just like, okay, well, we're going to open up all the food booths and change the menus, and that's it. Mm-hmm. I think the big problem, I mean, it's become less of a crutch, and now it's the f- focus of the park. And when it becomes that, it no longer becomes special. I mean, to quote Syndrome, you know, when everyone's super, no one is, you know. So it's like whenever there's a festival, there never is. I have that Diet Epcot sticker on my uh, my board at work. So I think that's definitely definitely something that stands out at Epcot, and I, I just it's disappointing because I remember how good those uh, festivals used to be. Yeah, the loss of the festival center, like not even the one they were going to build, but the old you know Wonders of Life made a big difference, mm-hmm. and just the loss of the little like you know the festival used to kind of be in corners, and now they've built out so much infrastructure for it that it feels permanent because it is. And it's just like, but, you know, for your once every five to 10 year tourists that they're, you know, that they're courting for, like, I guess it's unique and still special somehow. Oh, you have to go for the festival. Okay. You know. Which one? Yeah. Yeah. They all have to food. Flower and garden, food. Arts, food. They'll have food. And popcorn buckets. And popcorn buckets. And also, and also, if if we're gonna get on our pedestals pedestals here and yell, why doesn't why doesn't Flower Garden and Food and Wine bring back the experts? Like, remember when they used to have like chefs come out and they would have the pavilion and you could sit in it and it would be like mm-hmm. first come first serve or extra thirty bucks and you could like learn from. I was going to say Mario Batali because I know he's done it, but he's also very problematic right now or period. Uh, I don't know. Michael Simon, like he comes out and he's like, hey, I'm going to make you my awesome mac and cheese recipe. Here we go. And you get to see an Iron Chef. Like it, it's stuff like that that they've just totally gotten rid of. And it's just disappointing. Well, that's what I was really hoping, you know, when that concept art, the 2019 concept art came out for the mm-hmm. now canceled festival pavilion like they showed that shot of like doing it like a production facility. Yeah. Of like the, you know, two hosts sitting behind the, you know, the the Epcot um and I'm like, "Oh, that would be so great for the festivals, like having some sort of ability to do like remote broadcasting for food and wine so that that way you could have big screens down below and people could watch it if it was going on upstairs. Like mm-hmm. it could be this super dynamic sort of thing to actually make it feel like a festival. And now it's like, well, no, no building. <clears throat> it, it just like so much else at the Disney parks right now, it feels kind of hyper optimized to make money and not do anything else. Like it's like, yeah, it, the mentality is like, okay, well, the, the food booths make money, and so that's where all of our attention is going, and any of the extra fun stuff does not directly generate revenue in that same way, so it's not the focus. Nothing's, uh, nothing's where, a loss leader. Right. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, you look at, you know, something like Mardi Gras and, you know, the uh, like the, the parade itself and, you know, the experience of uh, letting guests get to be on the parade and, you know... All of that. It, it's so unique and it's so fun and it's not something that, uh, you know, 
directly generates revenue. Like you're not paying to be on the parade float, uh, but it's it makes it feel really special and unique. And it feels like the unique elements of the Disney festivals have just sort of been stripped away over the years. And, you know, the the food booths are kind of what's been left behind. Yeah. And, and they and they've just gotten bigger and more permanent. Yeah. So we spent 20 minutes talking about Universal. <laughs> um, so let's uh, move on to the Star Cruiser. Which, yeah, going which from you, which y'all 20 did. minutes of going from 20 minutes of dunking on Disney to maybe actually being positive about Disney. So just a little heads up. So the reason why we went on Star Cruiser is a friend of ours, Nick Tierce, who wrote a fantastic article. Uh, no, did he didn't write an article. He didn't write he it. Wrote the article edit that out he wrote the article um our friend nick who was kind of the one that you know i met doing the optimist back in 2013 which was a wdi r&d project way back in the day oh my goodness right, by sarah thatcher you know nine years ago now i met him we became friends because of that experience obviously i met david because of legends of frontierland in uh in 2014 which so. the article really deep dives into um, so yeah, the three of us sort of have this, uh, you know, we forged this friendship through these, uh, kind of WDI R and D experiments that were, uh, ultimately paving the way for what Star Cruiser would eventually be. Um, and yeah, so our buddy Nick, he had booked, uh, he, he had kind of gone back and forth about when he wanted to go, but he decided, you, you know what, look, I'm going to do going to do the first cruise, going to do opening day. I'm going to regret it if I don't. And so he booked a trip uh, with his wife. Uh, but then at the last minute, she had a work thing come up that she just could not get out of. And so uh, he uh, approached us and said, hey, look, uh, I've still got this cabin. Uh, there's, you know, uh, three beds in this cabin. Would you two be interested in coming along and uh so thanks to kind of weird you know someone else's bad luck our good luck and you know some extraordinary generosity on the part of both uh nick and Haston, we the three of us got to do this thing and it was kind of this really amazing full circle culmination of you know the last kind of decade of uh our friendship and, you know, the stuff that we've been doing for, you know, close to 10 years now. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, um, when we, you know, we got to the experience, obviously we were, you know, we were hyped for it, obviously. We didn't have a lot of time for, to prepare. We only had a few weeks when this situation fell down. And I feel like that was at a huge advantage for me because it was like it had put something off that I knew I wanted to do at some point in time and had given me kind of this targeted focus date. And um, it was really neat. And then, you know, to echo our previous thoughts, like having a couple of casual days in Orlando to just like get ready for the experience. I mean, we went through the whole nine yards. We we made themed luggage. We had a bunch of outfits. Like, just, you know, casually being able to relax at, like, the local Fairfield Inn before the experience was a huge benefit because, you know, we didn't land stressed. We didn't get there stressed. We didn't have to worry about, you know, taking all of our luggage. Like, we were able to go in, into the experience just extremely 
you know, relaxed and, and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Nice. So I guess, so where do you want to start? Do you want to talk about check-in? Do you want to talk about a little bit of your preparations and your backstories? How do you want to do this? Um, well, first to start, um, I, I, for anyone listening, I want to say that, uh, like, I'm not sure how deep into spoilers you want to get, Joe. I'm willing to talk about almost anything. The I, only thing I want to shy away from is, like, speculating about the actual under-the-hood mechanics of how the game elements work. Because I, A, I don't know. I have some guesses, but I don't know 100% for sure. And B, people are going to inevitably, you know, kind of map out walkthroughs to the experience and like more power to them. I don't want to participate in that side of the conversation necessarily. So that's the one area that I will draw the line. Um, but for anyone listening, um, if you don't, if you don't want spoilers, I would recommend, uh, I'll plug myself. Uh, I have mm-hmm. an article up on the, uh, parkscope.net uh, website that has, uh, kind of, uh, an overview of the experience doesn't get too specific into uh, like story spoilers or individual scenes or anything like that, but kind of frames it around uh, what the experience is and talking about a little bit, the path that led to the experience with uh, the Optimist and Legends of Frontierland and stuff like that. Um, And then uh, Todd Martins did a really good article for the LA times that I also recommend. It's uh, it's a subscriber exclusive, but you know you can you can throw them a dollar and then cancel uh, the subscription if you want to read it. And I, it is at least worth one dollar. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, worth a dollar at least. Yes. <laughs> Got you. All right. Well, I'm all ears. I'm I'm ready to listen. And also so for think- and, and in terms of um spoilers, I think everything's kind of open for what you've experienced. So okay. Yeah. yeah. So I think it starts it starts at check-in. So you know, we jump in the car from our Fairfield Inn all dressed up. We drive over to Walt Disney World uh from basically from Universal. Uh we get to enjoy that beautiful brand new blue signage uh coming into the resort. <laughs> and yes. basically you take what straight up used to be a cast service entrance mm-hmm. that they've now like hastily put up a Galaxy uh, Galaxy Star Cruiser sign on. And you pull literally, it, literally painted on uh, like a shipping crate, right? So they they stack two shipping crates, painted the Galax- the the Star Cruiser logo on. You turn in, you get to a security guard at the gate, super friendly, super nice. Checks the reservation, asks if you have any blasters in the car or with huh. you because it's like the only thing costume wise on the ship that's really not allowed. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, got you. Okay, prop weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, like prop guns. Yeah, specific, like, like lightsabers are cool, but like specifically, you know, prop guns are are a no no. And then they're in the uh, in the Q and A section on the website for uh, the costume guidelines. There's a, a very weirdly worded thing that's like uh, costumes that uh, like it's something like layered costumes that wrap around your body are maybe subject to additional screening and are strongly discouraged. Basically, I think that translates to don't show up in stormtrooper armor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, gotcha. But other than that, like those are kind of the two main restrictions on like costume and cosplay for 
uh, for Star Cruiser, but kind of anything else goes. Yeah, so we pulled up about a half hour before arrival time. It's a very small, you know, it's all concrete port cochet. Um, you basically, there's no parking or anything else. You know, they basically, they take your bags, um, they bag tag them for you, and they, they run them through an x-ray, and they're in your room by the time you get on the ship. Uh, I kept thinking it was going to be like a cruise and it was going to take like half a day. I don't know why, but <laughs> just that whole experience like felt logist- the the logistics felt natural. And uh, you meet. So how it works is that they do this sort of like group check in. There's a ton of cast members. They're kind of in generic. They're in what will be the Halcyon crew outfits, which are very, you know, sort of generic on the outside, kind of this blue with a silver stripe down the, down the arms. And, uh, they check you in. And, you know, because it's Disney, typical Disney check-in, like, they've already got your accounts all ready to go. They've already got your, you know, everything all ready to go. They they hand you your, your magic bands, which this is now the only resort handing out free magic bands. And, uh, but not much money, they better. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but they're really important to the experience, as we'll discover. Um, and uh, you basically... Uh, you get that now because we were on one of the first cruises, much to our surprise slash disappointment, we also got a bag with a contract from Disney and three iPhone 12 minis inside of the bag. We, we, di- we did have a little bit of a heads up on this. Uh, we, uh, again, going back to sort of uh, this group of the three of us uh, before... Uh, Galaxy's Edge opened in 2019. We got together and uh, had the idea of, oh, you know, there's going to be this data pad component to the land. And at the time, we were sort of anticipating it to be a little bit more robust than it actually turned out to be. Uh, and we thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun if this is the primary way you're going to interact with stuff in the land if we made themed phone cases. And so Nick got like a bunch of old uh, like 70s vintage model kits from uh, thrift stores, like the kind of stuff that they use to, uh, you know, make the uh, the ships and stuff in the original Star Wars. And we got some phone cases and some super glue and some spray paint and uh, made some uh, custom data pad phone cases for Galaxy's Edge. And we did the same thing uh, in the lead up to... Star Cruiser, because it's been three years, we all have new phones, uh, and uh, Sarah Thatcher, one of the lead designers on the project, uh, who we've, you know, gotten to know to some extent through, uh, you know, participating in these experiments over the years, uh, she reached out to us and said, uh, by the way, uh, <laughs> you, you might... Uh, Good work on the data pad cases. There's something you might want to know. And so, yeah, we got to, we got there and they handed us a bag with uh, the Magic Bands and with the uh, iPhone 12 minis, which, you know, was a little bit of a bummer on a personal level. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was a really smart move from a experience perspective of, you know, if the if the app was not kind of ready for prime time, if, you know, they were still struggling with, uh, I, I, and who knows what the actual reason was, but like, you know, if they were still struggling with compat- compatibility on certain devices or older devices or whatever else, just qu- kind of giving everybody a level playing field going in so that there would be 
no, uh, you know, kind of remove the opportunity for failure points was a really good call. Mm -hmm. And I think a strong customer service move as well, because uh, it made sure that when you went into the experience that that wasn't going to be any sort of hassle. Um, and, you know, quite expensive on their part, even though you do sign it, you basically sign a contract saying that if you break it, you'll give Disney $700. But uh, yeah, so <clears throat> we get our devices and then we're kind of waiting. You know, we're waiting for the one o'clock. Um, we're waiting for the one o'clock start time. Um, we we, we kind of see the the rogues gallery start to show up. We see uh, we see Tom Corliss. We see uh, Len Testa. I, I'm sorry, uh, Hank Lonely. Uh <laughs> We, uh, you know, which Hank immediately came and gave you a beautiful, glossy, yep, uh, signed, signed, uh, signed headshot. Uh, still got it. Oh, just incredible. <laughs> but the, the anticipation and the feeling in that moment, I think that I've never been in a space where like everybody didn't quite know what to expect. Like, yes, the media reviews had been out by that point in time. And personally, we didn't look at any media reviews. I'm like, I can take I'm doing the first cruise. I can take four days off social media. Yeah. And I can I can like go into it completely blind. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and and let's be honest, when it comes to kind of that first round of reviews there, there's a little bit of uh, you, you've got to take things with a little bit of a grain of salt, given uh, what we know about uh Disney's relationship with uh, the press and with media. I mean, this is the company that tried to blacklist the LA Times for uh, writing uh, about the fraught relationship between Disneyland and Anaheim in the city of Anaheim. So, yeah. you know, it, it, I, I'm sure they're they're putting the squeeze on publications smaller than the LA Times as well. Oh yeah. So we get there, and there's this just you know they, there's this palpable excitement, and I have a feeling that for every cruise, even as people know it and do it and whatever else, that same sort of excitement is going to exist in that environment. So it's one o'clock, we get in line um, and you scan to enter the building. And what I found interesting is, is that the way the credentials work for the building is exactly like a theme park. You hmm. touch your magic band and you do your fingerprint. I thought, oh, well, that's because we're going to be like, we're basically fingerprinting to go into studios. And essentially you are like okay. from a like, from an operational perspective. So at, at so, that point they can go, Oh, you don't have a theme park ticket. Come over here. Right. Exactly. Okay. Gotcha. Exactly. If, that's not, if that's not yet valid or active on your account or whatever else. So you're kind of like, you're loaded in, you're ready to go. You do security right there. Standard metal detector security. And you, you're, you're then placed down this long sort of concrete, very sterile environment and I like the sterile environment of the check-in space because it's a great palate cleanser. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's uh, the way our buddy Nick uh, sort of described it is it's, you're in the cover of the book. The, the story has not started yet, but it's this transitional space between the outside world and the, the, the world of the ship in the world of Star Wars where mm -hmm. you can uh, sort of – decompress before entering the full experience and like they've got uh the like as you walk down the hallway they've got like the star wars main title theme playing and stuff like that so it's sort of like the opening crawl of a star wars movie uh a little bit you know kind of that you know your perspective going down the hallway kind of mirrors the perspective of the uh text you know i never even crawl. thought about that yeah the hallway slightly comes inbound so yeah i never even thought about that 
Uh, and then you get to the end of the hallway and you uh, they set you up in a room uh, in front of a big uh, TV screen and they play this uh, sort of welcome video slash safety information. And it's, I mean, you were really taken with this and I'll let you speak to that, but it's this like two, three minute, like not very long video, but it packs a ton of information. It, it has like the- a comedian as like a Orlando comedian, like hosted or something like that. It's, right? it's Mark from the, from the Disney Parks blog videos. Yes, yes, yes exactly. So, and he's, you know, a regular at like Star Wars Celebration and stuff like that. Uh, but it, it packs just a ton of information into a really short amount of time, but in a way that is very digestible and understandable and feels like, oh, it, it, it answers a million questions in like two minutes. And it's like, okay. I know I'm in good hands going into this thing. And Uh I loved it because at the very end of it, the last like 20 to 30 seconds talking about your experience is it doesn't explicitly say it, but it reminds you that you're here to play and that this is a play space and that the actions that you take while playing are going to matter for you, are going to matter for your storyline, but have fun and make the next, you know, make the experience what you want it to be the best you can make it. And I'm like, it's the perfect introduction because if anybody had any doubts about what this is before they step onto that launch, you know, into the little, uh, into the little launch bay up, Mm -hmm. it is just a phenomenal way of just saying, Hey, here's the basic safety stuff that you might be concerned about. That's, that's, that's now over. You don't have to worry about it. You know, you've got an emergency exit window in your hotel room. Like, don't worry about it. Here, here's the difference between uh, a fake uh, in-universe alarm on the ship and an actual out-of-universe, there's actually an emergency alarm. Like, mm-hmm. just completely sets expectations. And you get rid of that right away and you say, okay, we've gone through the hard stuff. We've gone through that. It's now time for you to play. And then after that video concludes, you load into... The, the launch pods. Launch pods. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the launch pods, I'll admit, aren't quite as good looking as that first concept art looked. But what I love is, is that those launch pods, you've got that, you got that Star Wars title theme playing throughout. Mm-hmm. You've got, it's, it's so clever. When you pull up, you've got little previews of stuff you're going to see. These loaders grab onto the launch pod and they move you into position you get a view of the ship through these through these little windows, and um, you know the theme sort of ends and the doors open, and there you are, the beautiful Halcyon atrium. Yeah, and it, it's I mean kind of going back to the idea of the the launch pods not being quite as uh, impressive as some of the early concept art. I think this is. Uh, this is something that some people have touched on, and it it, it is it is true that uh, aspects of the experience, you know, do not quite match the uh, the concept art that were that was shown off uh, initially, which you know is always the case with stuff like this. But I think the the thing that they did that throughout the experience was so smart is they they held on to the core experience at all costs, which, you know, kind of in contrast with uh, Galaxy's Edge, like, is, you know, something worth discussing, where, yeah, you know, 
maybe you don't have that big uh, circular window on top of the launch pods uh, and you have two smaller windows on either side. Uh, but the the experience of the the story and the characters and everything else uh, is the heart of that experience. And none of that feels shortchanged. The, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, a- another thing was, yeah, there's not the... Uh, there are not the roaming droids that, uh, you know, once again, we, they, they tried to get them in Galaxy's Edge, didn't happen, tried to get them on Star Cruiser, didn't happen. Uh, and it seems like that might have been a really late decision on Star Cruiser because they're selling merch with the, uh, uh, they're, they're selling a pin set that has the uh, uh, SK droid who is on the ship and uh, the the Jake droid from the, uh, playtest in Tomorrowland way back when. Huh. Uh, okay. So, uh, who knows? Maybe we'll still see him show up on the ship at some point. Uh, it feels like it was a late cut because they made merch for it, uh, that character. But the, the the trade-off is, okay, we can't, have, we can't have a dozen droids roaming around the ship, so what's the trade-off? We have one droid, and we make it a big, important character, right? Like, this is, like... We don't have 12 generic droids that are just wandering around. You have one droid that everybody's going to fall in love with because it's a core, it has a distinct personality. It's a core facet of the story. Like this is, uh, this is a droid everybody is going to remember. And, uh, you know, it's going to become a character in the same way as uh, R2 or 3PO or Chopper or any of the other, you know, famous Star Wars droids. And that feels sort of like a theme of the experience it's okay we have any project is going to have constraints any project is going to have limitations but we are going to always hold on to the core of what the experience is meant to be and from the start what's great about that experience is is that from the moment that you step off of that launch pod into the atrium the experience has started Mm -hmm. like and I really appreciated that. There's like, there's very little, there's very little warm up. It's, hey, I'm going to take you to your room so that you know where your cabin is. Um, when you when you get there, you know, unload, change, do what you need to do, grab lunch, and then the experience just starts. And there's already characters, and there's already people roaming around the hallways, roaming around the lobby, you know, roaming around the um, the the lower decks, like basically from the moment that like you're kind of ready to go, they're ready to go. Mm-hmm. And so basically we, unlo- we go to our room, we see all our luggage is there. We're already dressed. So we're like, it's time for lunch. So we're on the same deck as the dining room. Very handy. So we went over to the dining room and let me tell you, like the food, the food was pretty basic, but the presentation is a ton of fun and the flavors, especially at that first at that first lunch, were just fantastic. I, I think we all agreed that the first uh, lunch on the first day was our favorite meal of the you know uh, two and a half days uh, of the experience. And uh, my absolute favorite thing are these trays. You know, it's served buffet style, so you grab your own little like in little mini plates. But these trays are compartmentalized, so you can grab either a, a square or a, or a rectangular thing, and it fits right onto the tray. And it's smart from an operations perspective because it limits the amount of stuff that you can take per trip. Mm-hmm. But also, 
It's very handy. It feels very futuristic. I'm like, why is every cruise ship not doing this? Yeah, the, the modular design of the, the trays is really clever. Like, I mean, like Hayson mm -hmm. was saying, it's these, uh, it's these trays that have uh, three rectangular indents in them, and the all the small plates at the buffet are perfectly sized to just slot right into those uh, indents like Lego bricks almost. Uh, so you've got... <clears throat> Uh, the bigger plates have are you know take up the full space of the rectangle, and then they have smaller plates that are you know you can fit two in one of those rectangular indents. And you know, the food is super tasty. It's uh, again kind of like Hasten was saying. It's nothing about the food itself is super exotic. Uh, it's kind of you know like that first day there was like uh, like a grilled cheese sandwich sandwich with tomato soup there was like uh there, there was like a, a, a gumbo almost there was you know like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches but the the presentation on all of them feels very spacey and very interesting and very very fun so like the uh, grilled cheese sandwich for instance it's uh sort of this uh like tightly pressed uh panini with uh like almost like uh the bubble waffles uh uh, where, you know, you've got these pockets of cheese uh, in between the kind of tightly pressed places. Uh, the uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwich is uh, like sunflower butter and jelly inside like uh, almost like a bao bun. Not quite a bao bun, but like like a little, you know, uh, like a little bread pouch. Uh, so the presentation on everything is, is what really sells it. And that this carries through to the dinners as well. Like, you know, the the dinners are kind of uh, like steak and mashed potatoes, shrimp cocktail, uh, you know, uh, noodle salad, stuff like that. It's nothing, you know, it, it very it feels very much like it's catering to uh, a touristy audience that, you know, is. Let, let me let me let me rephrase that. It's it's trying to make it so that the the flavors are familiar even if the presentation is is strange and mm -hmm. i think that i think that's a smart way of uh approaching it i mean i would have i would not have minded uh some more exotic options but i also get it uh i also think too that you're talking about experience where you're running around you're talking to characters this the the, the entire food and beverage perspective besides the bar i think really plays to how i sort of see the star cruiser is and i work for a big tech company so this comes with like what i know but it feels a lot like a tech campus in the perspective of yeah you kind of have basic food you have snacks out all the time there's a couple of water stations where you can like just grab water anytime that you want to like on the ship like the whole point of these things are these things are designed this experience is designed to complement the play that exists. Mm -hmm. And so I fully understand going more basic on the menu because you've been running around Batu all morning or you've been running around hanging out with characters, you know, breaking people out of the brig, you know, going going up and down that staircase between the atrium and the lower deck. Who knows how many times mm -hmm. in a day um, playing with the characters on the turbo lifts, on the elevators. Like you're kind of doing this sort of 
you know, this, this, this sort of all day pursuit. And so having this sort of basic food, but in a presentation style, I think makes a lot of sense given what the experience is. And the quality of everything is really good. I mean, it's absolutely, uh, I would say that, you know, I, I, I'm not as familiar with the Walt Disney World uh, resort restaurants, but, you know, speaking to a more local perspective, I would say certainly not at the level of like an Apple Rose, but not too far off from something like uh, like a Carthay Circle. Yeah, I like somebody compared it to Boma. I think Len that's did. a perfect. Len. Yeah, the Len. Yeah, Len compared it to Boma, and I think that's like the perfect comparison. And, and not necessarily that the food's bad, it's that you know, you're in a foreign experience and you need something that's a little more comforting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, like I was saying, I think that to what you're doing, it's also super comforting as well. So we have lunch and then, you know, it's almost four o'clock. So four o'clock is, is muster, which I love that they, they did this traditional cruise ship thing to get everybody all together. Um, and so you go upstairs and this is your first real opportunity to meet all the characters. Yeah. And so they're the- interacting with everybody and they're running around with everybody. And I'll be a hundred percent honest, like COVID rules had just dropped like two or three days before this experience. And I was not ready for how much grabbing and hugging and touching and whatever all of these characters were going to do. I was not ready for that, but we just had some of these just amazing, you know, from the get go, you know, interactions First thing, we met the Saja. They're the sort of, I like to call them, you know, they're like the Jedi fanboys after the Jedi is gone. Like, you know, they're on the ship to do your lightsaber training, to sort of teach you the ways of the Force. And these actors that they have hired, you know, especially the main guy on our, on our he is just, there's a level of optimism and positivity that just flows through him where you're like, this can't be a person playing this role. This has to be legitimately how he feels about this, right? The, the the cast the cast across the board is phenomenal, and and yeah. So the you can board the ship as soon as one o'clock, you know, give or take some time uh, with security. Uh, but the the characters, like the main characters, uh, don't really show up in earnest until like three three thirty, uh, and then everybody gets together for the muster at four o'clock and that's kind of when the story proper really starts. And so you've got, uh, basically, basically what, like, uh, 10 major players. You have the Saja who are the, they're the, uh, the lightsaber trainers that you will, uh, do lightsaber training with, uh, as part of the experience. And, you know, they are, uh if if you if you've seen Rogue One, uh the uh Chirut and Bay's characters, uh the uh the the sort of not quite Jedi, but like uh interest interested in and like uh sort of a- approach the, the force from more of sort of like a religious study side, uh the the Saja are sort of descendants of that and so they are would, they, on would the you ship. say they're, they're sort of like revo- revolutionary war reenactors in a way not that, not not quite, not, not it's, quite? It's, okay it, it, it's more more sort of like they are they're they're this group that is uh interested in the force interested in uh the jedi from sort of like 
both an academic and a spiritual perspective. Uh, like they are sort of uh, like caretakers of this legacy almost now that the Jedi are largely gone from the galaxy. Okay. Uh, and uh, so you've got the Saja. They, there's uh, the captain of the ship, uh, Captain Riley Keevan. Uh, she's a uh, uh, Pantoran woman. They've got the, the blue skin with like the gold accents and stuff. Uh, Great to see the blue have... man group getting work after they were left early Universal. <laughs> you've got uh, the cruise director, Lenka Mock. Uh, you have uh, Sammy, who is the, uh, the ship's new engineer. The story is that it's... Uh, Literally, literally his first day on the job. Uh, you have uh, Gaia, who is the uh, Twi'lek uh, superstar who is going to be uh, performing during the dinners. And she's got kind of her whole entourage. She has her backup performer, Wani, who is uh, a Rodian with, you know, the full costume and the animatronic head, speaks full Hatties. It's great. Uh and her manager, uh, uh, Wraith Cole, who is a, a little bit of a scoundrel, we'll say. Uh, On our cruise specifically, he his look and style was Space Joe Rody. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the casting call <laughs> was, must have been, we need a guy that looks exactly like Joe Rody, uh, minus the earring. Uh, and then, you know, in kind of... So everybody's gathered for the muster. Uh, you... you uh, are welcome to the cruise. There's the captain's toast and everything. And then in true Star Wars fashion, uh, the First Order boards your ship. Uh, and on come a pair of stormtroopers uh, alongside Lieutenant Croy, uh, who says that, you know, there have been reports of uh, resistance activity on this ship. And so the entire ship is going to be under investigation for the duration of this cruise. And... Uh, you know, that's where the, the conflict starts. And I know there has been some some concern and some hand-wringing, justifiably so, over the First Order element of the experience. And, you know, having people, uh, you know, you're in this play space, you have people uh, who are going to play for the Resistance, you have people who are going to play for uh, the First Order. Like, how is that going to feel is that going to feel kind of gross and icky with you know basically people cosplaying as space nazis the thing that makes it work and the smartest decision is that the first the the first order agent who comes on the ship this lieutenant croy is fully a clown like just from the jump he's uh imagine the fanfic version of General Hux from the sequel trilogy mixed with uh, King George from Hamilton. Like, he is... uh, He's very arch. He's very over-the-top. He... uh, Camp? Very camp. Constantly (laughs) gets flustered. Uh, His... One of the things that you quickly find out about this character is he is a closet Gaia fanboy. Uh... And so the fact that Gaia is on the ship is like, you know, he's beside himself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I got it. So, I'm feeling it. Okay. Yeah. So the whole, the whole first order, uh, storyline and Hasten, you can speak to this a little bit more than I can because you, you followed more of that track. It's very much the comedy track where, you know, he's, he's constantly trying to 
uh, root out the resistance and uh, further the pursuit of the First Order, but he's sort of undermining himself at every turn. Exactly. And what's great about this character and this attitude and this sort of full camp and whatever else is that kids just absolutely love him. My God, yes. <laughs> like, like yes. okay, yeah. you know, I'm it, sold, it yeah. is one of these things where this this particular character created in a way that is just so so fun and so irreverent and so like the other characters were 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 insanely good on their feet yeah. from a improv perspective but our particular lieutenant croy was just was just amazing yeah. right like because you can tell that the characters have certain things that are supposed to interact with the story or not. So one of my favorite stories, and I don't think I've told anybody this, is we were down on the lower decks with Lieutenant Croy trying to snuff out something during the time that, like, you know, uh, Ray was on the ship. And um, there's this big there's this big scene that happens where, like, Ray is supposed to carefully pass by him. And, you know, uh, she's sneaking around with her group of people. And Lieutenant Croy is sneaking around with his. And... Just the way that he interacted, because, you know, all the people that were helping out Ray had all of this physical resistance, resistance logos and stuff on their clothes, because that's kind of the way they dress to come on the ship. But the way that you dress to come on the ship, unless it plays into what you're doing, which another great story with Lieutenant Croy about that is uh, it doesn't matter. So. He he had this just absolutely hilarious line after line after line of what he would call the resistance logo, even though it was clearly the resistance logo, but he'd say it's something else. No, no, those are red circles. <laughs> All I see over there are red circles. What do you mean? I don't see anyone over there. And it was just this phenomenal, like, this just phenomenal back and forth. There were a couple kids who on the Batu Day went and bought, like, the full uniforms. And so his running gag with these kids is he would mess up their collars as he would walk by and then when they would get into like formation, he would tell them, check your collar. Like all of these just little, all of these just little like joking things because he had to be the best at what he was doing. And he was the superior officer. Mm -hmm. And even though these people were helping him, he, and again, just playing to that camp he, and that he let him, that yeah, he, yeah, such a great, such a great, great character and a great way to put the first order on the ship without them just being evil space Nazis. I, 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 it kind of feels Hogan's heroes like. Yeah. In a weird I, I, way. I, I suspect that a lot of kids who maybe aren't, or maybe kind of too young. Who to, aren't Nazi sympathizers. Right. <laughs> who, aren't, who aren't Nazi sympathizers, who are maybe too young to, like, really get into, like, the data pad stuff and, like, explicitly be doing missions and, and whatever, will gravitate towards Croy because he's funny. Like, I, I think that uh, at least the, the actor we had, uh, like, massively popular with kids uh, because it's, He's the funniest character on the ship. Like the other actors are phenomenal, but like, you know, Croy gets all the laughs. So you do this. And they're all at his expense. Right. So you do this muster and you meet all these great characters and then you kind of have until dinner to just play. Mm -hmm. Talk to people, see what's going on, talk to characters. Like this is this is the time period where you really figure out your path and what you're going to do for the rest of the duration of the ship. We immediately hit it off with uh wraith cole yeah guy's manager yeah you had uh so like one of the first things we did after getting on the ship and uh checking into the room was you tried to use your uh 
M band or uh, Magic Band uh, to get into the uh, the engineering room, right. which was a restricted area. You, you did not have access to it, and so you you tapped your M band. It got the red light. Uh, it didn't open up, and you moved on. But in your data pad, you got a message from Wraith saying, "Hey, I uh, I, I see that you are the kind of person who uh, wants to." wants to know how things work behind the scenes and, you know, is uh, up for uh, a little bit of trouble. And, you, you know, that kind of started you on that side of the story. And so, like, even though the characters are not necessarily out until three o'clock, there's still opportunities to get pushed into the story mm-hmm. as early as the moment you walk K- onto kinda, the ship. Kind of setting up, kind of setting up what you'll be doing later in a way. Depending and on what, what was what great is, is that what was great is, is that immediately once I tapped in to this door, which I assumed I would not get access to, but I'm like, why not? It's fun. Um, and I get the message. Not only does that give me the character, but on the affiliations page, I get to see who the character is. I get to see some backstory about the character, which is great. Oh, he's been guy's manager for 10 years. Oh, that gives me a jumping point off when I meet him in real life that I can actually have a conversation with this character about, because I know some information about him. And, you know, the moment that we later met him up in the atrium shortly after the muster, like I immediately had these like three points to like jump off with this character on that had not interacted with me at all yet. And honestly, maybe didn't even know my status, but also might have, because one thing you'll notice with all the characters is, is that, you know, they're they're discussing things. There's game masters. There's such elegant design when it comes to how this works. Again, I don't want to get too deep into the details, but it's very clear. You know, they reconfirm your name when you meet them because they're clearly talking to someone, right? But all of this plays into this curated story. So, like, from the start, I knew him. He knew me. He knew things he could give me to do. You know, we went over to this hidden little terminal in the bar and he tapped his data card and then I typed my M band and like, I was kind of on the start. I was kind of on the start with that. And then meanwhile, while I was doing that, while Nick and I were kind of doing that and you like, you're interacting with the captain, you're interacting with the, with the cruise director. Mm -hmm. Like you had some specific experiences there that you can talk about. Yeah. So, I mean, the, as we were saying, the muster is kind of where you start to get is, is where you get a sense of how all the characters are aligned. And some are obvious, like, uh, uh, you know, obviously, Croy is first order. Uh, it's it's pretty clear from the jump that uh, Wraith is the scoundrel character. Um, but then, you know, the obviously the resistance characters don't want to give themselves away too hard. But they're, you know. It's telegraphed in the in the muster, and uh, so I I latched on to uh, uh, the cruise director Lenka Mock uh, because you know she had stood up a little bit to Croy, and uh, so I walk up to her and I say you know hey I I got onto the ship kind of playing into the uh, actual real life backstory of ending up on the ship uh, or ending up on Star Cruiser because of, uh, you know, my friend's last minute cancellation. I, I came up and said, hey, you know, I know I'm taking a big risk by telling you this, uh, but 
I'm not supposed to be here. I uh, forged credentials to get onto this ship because I'm looking to join up with the resistance on Batu. And uh, so, you know, I, so she, she opens up to me and it's like, okay, well, you know, we are, we're on this cruise uh, going to Batu because we're trying to deliver supplies to the resistance. And, you know, we've got Chewbacca on the ship and he's trying to get to, uh, uh, Black Spire outpost to uh, meet up with the resistance, and so I got started on the resistance track uh, <clears throat> that way. And uh, but no, it, it's that that times kind of immediately after muster is kind of the the best opportunity, at least on that first day, to really uh, get to know the characters and kind of figure out which track you want to be on. And you're not locked into uh, a single track necessarily. Uh, like we, like I was uh, pursuing the resistance thing, but also kind of fell into the, the scoundrel story with Wraith Cole. And you, uh, you kind of jumped around a little bit before landing on uh, doing the, uh, the scoundrel story with kind of the first order stuff on the side. Right. Because I was curious about like, Oh, what is this going to be like? This probably isn't going to be a common storyline. I'm going to get to see things that the other people in my cabin aren't going to get to see. So we all kind of jumped on our own thing. And, um, yeah, so you kind of have that period after muster and before dinner, then, you know, Mm -hmm. at dinner, you, you meet your characters, you kind of get your baseline established, you know, you're pursuing, then you have dinner. Mm Mm-hmm. And your first night is your Gaia concert. And something amazing to me happened along the hallway. So I had come up with a backstory that, you know, my particular character, who was basically me, had grown up on Hosnian Prime, moved to um, Coruscant. Coruscant. I can't remember it. (laughs) Moved to Coruscant because uh, I had to move because of my work. You know, oh, they want you at the Coruscant office now. Shortly afterwards, of course, in The Force Awakens, Hosnian Prime gets blown up. Mm-hmm. I don't really care because that was where my parents lived and they were already dead and like it didn't really matter to me. And so I came up with this whole backstory and I told a couple of the characters, I told Wraith, I told some people. And when we were arriving to dinner, I was running late because I was finishing up a mission or playing or something. I can't even remember what I was doing at the time, but I was really into it and I was running a little late to dinner. And so I'm rushing down to dinner and rushing into the room and the captain is escorting uh Gaia to the room to play uh to 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 start singing and the captain stops with this big group behind me and she goes oh Hasten from Coruscant now mind you I had had mm. zero interaction with her she had never met me before like whatever else she's like oh Hasten from Coruscant I would really like you to meet Gaia I've heard you've met her manager. Oh and shit. Just, she's like, Gaia, this is Hasten. And I'm having this like legitimate, like, am I supposed to be interacting with the celebrity moment? Like for that half of like six seconds, the fact that this was a story with, you know, characters and everything else was completely out of my brain, completely out of my brain. And it was just like, Oh, I'm in this moment getting to meet this real celebrity. Damn. And, and, th- and this is the stuff that, you know, They've been they've been building for the better part of a decade now with yeah. these previous R and D experiments and you know this sort of uh, internal system that they call story engine where yeah, it's, all, all the R and D and the patents we've seen right and so it's it's the system where you know 
a combination of uh, data tracking and live game masters, they can, you know, have these kind of crazy interactions where, you know, you tell something to one character and word spreads around the ship and a character you've never interacted with will reference the thing you said to another character. It's it's completely it, wild. It kind of sounds it, like the ultimate fulfillment of what Magic Band should have been, where they know where you're all, yeah. where you're at at all times. Except now they can have someone like it. It, it sounds like Left for Dead in the way that they Left for Dead has an AI director. It sounds mm-hmm. like this has several physical directors who are like, "Hasten's coming late." Okay, this is this character coming. He, you know, he's coming around the bend now. Boom! You can do this interaction element. It's it seems yeah, absolutely that seems like that. Yeah, and it, it, it's sort of the absolutely Star Cruiser. You know, what ten uh, ten years later is kind of the it, it's it's not only the ultimate fulfillment of these R and D experiments we've talked about, but it's sort of the first time that the the promise of what Magic Band was supposed to be has actually materialized in any real way uh where it's like yeah you get to have sort of this customized experience that is tailored to you through the technology of these bluetooth beacons and magic band and uh this other stuff and it it creates these really you know powerful experiences that just kind of short circuit your brain and it's like oh you you forget for a second that this is all fictional Mm -hmm. yeah we had a couple had a couple moments like that. So we do our we do our first big dinner, you know, with Gaia doing three great songs. And I think what the callback is just some neat callbacks here. You know, all of her songs are kind of about her and her storyline and what she's trying to get done on the ship, which is just great. There's just every single moment is just infused with story. We sit down. Our servers are interested in what we did for, with, for the day. They know about all the characters. They know who the characters are. They know who to trust and who not to trust. Like, you know, it's like it's like cruise ship serviced, but sort of to this weird extreme of like it would be like if every person working on a cruise ship knew exactly like what was going on the ship at any given time. Mm-hmm. Like just, you know, great service, a ton of fun. And it reminded me that Disney can still do this type of service. Mm-hmm. It has to be locked behind, a you know, two thousand dollars a person at for least two nights paywall. Yeah. At least, but they can still do this. So we had an amazing first dinner, you know, tons of character play during dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got this great, we didn't even talk about Sandro, which was kind of what, oh yeah, yeah. There's this great, you know, just like, there's this character who, for better or worse, his backstory is, is he sold everything but his uh, guitar, guitar yeah. to be on the Halcyon. <laughs> Because uh, he he want, he knew Gaia was going to be on the hot Halcyon, and he wanted to uh, he he wanted to join Gaia's band, and so he sold his enti- you know all of his possessions to uh, book a trip on the Halcyon, which is a choice uh, for you know like really really hanging a, a hat on the actual expense of the experience. Uh, but no, so you've got this character, uh, Sandro, who is sort of in the wings of the Gaia story, and our buddy Nick uh, kind of latched onto this character early on, and uh, they you know, 
uh, wrote a song to sing to Gaia as, as she boarded the ship. And then Sandro was at the dinner and, you know, he's, uh, 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 going around the room, like, you know, uh, he gets called out at a certain point during Gaia's performance and he's, you know, gesturing around the room, like, Oh, I've met so many amazing people today. Uh, you know, there, there's, uh, there's there's Bill, there's uh, George, and then he points over to our table and oh, there's my buddy Nick. Uh, hey Nick, uh, and you know, the, the whole experience is deeped in this all the way through. It at any of these major story points, like characters are calling out players that they've interacted with throughout the story that have made it special. That you know, sort of get that get that call out, and so you know we. Um, so yeah, we had our dinner, and then uh, after that we had our uh, bridge ops training, where we you know go up to the uh, go up to the bridge of the Halcyon and we uh, run through a series of basically mini games to uh, learn how to operate the ship systems, whether it's uh, shields or weapons or uh, you know kind of systems repairs uh loaders yeah there's there's the the loading droids that you referenced uh from the uh you know launch pod and you know you kind of do these mini games and then at a certain point uh there is uh there's a turn where one of the characters uh gets a transmission from uh the resistance and it's like oh we need to uh we need to jump to the Hoth system to uh, uh, repair this listening post to try to intercept uh, transmissions from the First Order to figure out, you know, what they want on the ship. And so, you know, the the mini games that you had been doing as, you know, quote unquote training uh, go into effect as you launch into this mission. And the interesting thing about these... Uh, bridge sequences because there's the training on the first day and then there's uh kind of more major scenes on the second day we on the second day things sort of uh the wheels kind of came off the experience a little bit for us and we Mm -hmm. were pushed into you know it's uh we ran into uh scott trowbridge on uh on the uh, uh during the experience and he was you know uh, we were talking about it, and he said, you know, it's not just early days, it's early day. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, some of that's uh, you've got to expect. But on the second day, we ended up uh, getting pushed into two of these bridge sequences. And it showed us something really interesting in that uh, you look at other immersive theater things, like the big one is Sleep No More. And Sleep No More is a three-hour experience that is... Uh, structured around these one hour loops. So you Mm -hmm. are, you know, you're in the experience for three hours, but the, their telling of Macbeth only takes about one hour. So you can, the whole thing repeats three times and you can kind of explore different aspects of the story with, uh, star cruiser. What they did that's so interesting is there are mechanical loops, but there are never story loops. So every, So every bridge scene, you're mechanically, you're going to be doing the same things. You're going to be, you know, uh, you're going to be managing the shields. You're going to be, uh, you know, repairing the systems. You're going to be firing weapons. But every single 
uh, scene is a different facet of that story. So, you know, our bridge ops training got a different part of the story than anybody else's bridge ops training that night. Uh, and so, you know, you get this sort of unique piece of the puzzle that, you know, you're not necessarily missing anything by not going, by not seeing all the bridge uh, scenes, but you get this, you know, unique slice of, oh, I know what happened with this character at this specific moment. And that can, you know, inform how I talk to them later on, that sort of thing. So it's a very ambitious uh, way of doing it, which means, you know, however many of these sequences they have in a given night, they're delivering a unique part of the story to every single group of people. And that's not to say that all the story elements exist within these sort of, you know, these sort of mechanical, mechanical loops, even if there are no story loops. Like, for example, we'll jump straight to, you know, we got to participate in a pretty uh, big part of the, of the, uh, the smugglers or the scoundrels storyline where, uh, we had to steal this jewel uh, out of a the hyperspace compass that's in the um, atrium, and that was the whole point. One of the whole reasons why Gaia was on the ship was to steal that, and for yeah. Wraith to steal steal the coaxium. And she sings about the she sings about the jewel in one of her songs during mm-hmm. her um, during her sequence. And we had done enough interactions with Wraith that we even got invited into his inner circle. Which was this very intimate, private storytelling moment? Yeah, where, like maybe maybe a dozen of us in total. Right, where a dozen of us got into. Now, mind you, more people could have showed up. There was no actual gating agent to that experience. Like we could have brought friends along, we could have brought other people along, but it was the three of us, and we all got invited. And you know, we went down into the into the uh, the cargo bay, into the lead up to the cargo bay, just greatly themed and. Um, a couple pictures from this ended up in David's article, but we're there with Wraith and he's planning out this heist of how we're going to steal this jewel. And this has been set up with other permanent story interactions before. Like we had set up, you know, an accidental alarm to go off on the, on the jewel and to go off every so often so that that way. So we could see how, you know, how quick the response time was for, you know, the silent alarm gets triggered. How quick are the stormtroopers going to show up and investigate what's happening? And then what blew me away is when the stormtroopers showed up and investigated, they had pre-recorded lines to talk about the silent alarm. We had reports that a silent alarm went off here. Did you see anything? Uh, and, and so, you know, there there are these, uh, yeah, so there are these more intimate moments that you can sort of unlock through play where they tie into bigger moments that everybody gets to experience. So kind of anybody, it seems like, who is broadly following the scoundrel path uh, got an invite to be a part of the heist. Uh, they, you know, it was... Put uh put a cocktail napkin in your M band to signal that you are you know part of uh, Wraith's crew and hmm. be in the uh, be in the atrium at this time to serve as lookouts. But then for us who got to who got invited to Wraith's inner circle, like we were actually part of the planning of how the heist would go down. So uh, just some great story mm. moments here. You know, he's laying out the atrium with a deck with a, with some sabah cards, and then the moment that he's just about ready to reveal the plan, the captain walks in from the <laughs> uh, 
from the, you know, from the cargo bay. Yeah. And we're just like, oh, the we, captain's here. Yeah, we, like, were, we were just having a sabak lesson. Yeah, and uh, then she's getting angry at him for, like, trying to steal all of our credits and, like, take us for a ride. And she knows something's up. And it's just great, intimate character interactions in that moment. And once we have a plan, you know, so we lay out the plan. And, again, he does this whole thing where he creates this – I don't know if it happens every cruise or not. Like, I don't know how it happens, but he creates this whole plan to do the heist. So he's got some people sitting on the couch in the main room. He's got other people setting up something with Sandro to distract from a music perspective so that people walk over there. A, a couple people are assigned to kind of keep tabs on the captain. And like if the captain uh, enters the atrium, kind of redivert her to, you know, oh, uh, well, let's go have a drink in the bar. Let, like, let's, let's go talk with Gaia. And, you know, and for me, uh the uh, part of it that uh, he uh, assigned to me, he's like, okay, you and you, he points to another woman in the uh, the cargo hold, uh, you are going to create a diversion. You're going to get the entire atrium's attention while I steal this jewel. Uh, you are going to go to uh, passenger relation, the passenger relations desk and uh, tell them that... Uh, you are going to propose and get everybody out from the passengers relations desk, uh, get them up there taking pictures, whatever. And then, you know, put on a show in front of the atrium. And so, uh, she, uh, uh, this, uh, th this woman that, uh, you know, I got partnered with on this, uh, she was actually literally engaged and had a ring with a big stinking rock on it. And so, uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. I go up to, uh, I go up to the passenger re relation desk with this ring and it's like, Hey, I, can you help me out? I, I I'm going to propose. And like hundred percent convinced that none of the, uh, passenger relations, uh, cast members were, we're in on it. Like they really? thought I was being a hundred percent genuine with this request. Like this is the wow. thing. Wow. I, I think that uh, I could be wrong, but I I think that every cruise there's a heist. There are people who participate in the heist, but the actual specifics of what those people do is very much improvisational. Very much up to the actor playing gotcha. the role. Gotcha. And so yeah. like. There will be a heist every cruise, but every heist will not involve a fake marriage proposal. Uh, and Wh so, whatever happened in his in that person's life that week will become the the point of the, the of the heist. You know, <laughs> like he'll yes, be like exactly. my my I'm a highest you know degree person here, and my shower is not working. Come out and look <laughs> at my shower. You know that kind of thing. Right, right, exactly. And so uh, you know. I get this. I, I get this ring. I get down on one knee, do this uh, big, over-the-top uh, spectacle of you know, uh, whole whole speech. Get down on one knee, and then she says, uh, "Did you talk to my dad?" I, <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I I break down. Uh, just you know, again, really, really shooting for the moon with this. Just uh, sobbing like. Crying hysterics, uh, you know. I, I, I've been work. I've been trying so hard to fix things with your father, and uh, you know, 
put on this whole show. And the crazy thing is that, you know, as much as I was playing it up, people came up to us afterwards and like thought it was totally sincere. Uh, well, well, this is the thing, right? So while he's doing this proposal, I'm Wraith's right hand man. So Wraith is like, okay, if anybody comes up, like, you know, the people with the cocktail napkins, right? If they come up to us and you see them, like give them something to do. So I'm kind of in the mode of like, okay, I know what the major distractions in the room are. Like, I've got these other people. Like, I can command them over to do things if they are if they want to participate in the height. So I'm like, so I told one guy like, hey, there's going to be a proposal near the turbo lifts, like in just a few minutes. What I want you to do is I want you to yell, oh, my God, the moment that he drops down on one knee. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, there's going to be some there's going to be some singing and some whatever over there. I'm like, there's also going to be stormtroopers over there. I'm like, try to get the stormtroopers to clap along with the singers. Right. Like, so we're walking around doing this whole thing. And then because I'm the right hand man, I'm the one who actually gets gets my hands on the jewel once he steals it out of the cabinet. And. That was just an amazing, fun interaction, again, where my brain completely dropped out of this being an experience I paid for or a game or anything else because we're walking – we successfully swapped the jewel and we're walking back down. He's like, okay, we're going to head down to the, to, the, to the cargo base. We can give it to Gaia, right? And then the moment that that happens, the captain walks out of the bar. <laughs> and she's like, Wraith Cole. You're up to something. You're up to something. What are you doing with these people? Now, mind you, I've got the jewel, actually a piece of uh, wood, <laughs> in my pocket. And she goes through this whole rigmarole with Wraith Cole. And Wraith had noticed that I had put the jewel in my right in my right hand pocket. And uh, again, one of these interaction moments happened where she did this whole thing with Wraith Cole and having him empty his pockets. And there was nothing in his pockets. And she goes... You know, you were awfully close to that desk as well. She's like, show me what's in that pocket. And she points to the pocket where the jewel is not in. And funny story, where you steal this was right next to the, like, fruit and, and snack. So I was literally eating a banana, a.k.a. long fruit. Long in, fruit. Like, <laughs> as a way of... As a way of like looking normal, like, oh, I'll just stand right in front of the banana thing and eat a banana. So that so I pull this banana peel out of my pocket. And she got and then she makes this comment about like, I don't know what you two are up to, but I think it's more than just long fruit. <laughs> and she has this whole thing, and then she walks away, and then I hand it to him, and then we go downstairs, and then we get this amazing Gaia is waiting for us in the and this is where being part of that 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 inner circle was really neat. I think anybody could have come down that was part of the heist because he was talking to everybody. But she gives this amazing speech about what this jewel represents to her and her people and how much it's going to free them and what it represents. And, you know, a very progressive storyline about how even through you know, the decades of fighting between what was the Empire and the Resistance and now the First Order or the Empire and the Rebels and now the First Order and the Resistance. It's like everyone's just sort of ignored this planet and its people and, you know, the slavery that's existed there and about how this will be the first step to set them free. And I just thought that was a really neat, private, intimate experience. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and there's this really cool moment where, you know, uh, during during this exchange, uh Wraith kind of uh, singles out people who were, you know, 
involved in that inner circle and involved in the planning of the heist and, you know, says, uh, you know, uh, basically tell Gaia what you did to help out with this. And so we kind of got to recap our own experiences of this heist. And it was just this really, really special, uh, intimate moment. And it's, it, so this was, you know, like, like I said, maybe, maybe a dozen, you know, maybe 20 people in this room having this moment, but the whole thing is designed so that, uh, if you are really into it, really engaged, that you are, not everybody's going to see this specific moment, but everybody's going to have something similar to that, where they're going to have this really neat, really intimate, really private moment that feels really special because it's tailored to to them and what they've been doing and what they've been uh, focused on. And so there's stuff with, uh, you know, there's stuff like that with the Saja. There's stuff like that with uh, the Resistance. I imagine there's stuff like that with the First Order. With Ray, absolutely. Other people on the ship were telling me that you know she got to do this beautiful speech once she had successfully snuck onto the ship. Kind of the same thing in a really private environment. And that's the thing. These little play spaces that they've created. The cargo room, the engineering room, um, the brig are all just kind of these, you know, just sort of fun spaces. So you have a lot of these story things. Even and so, stuff that you wouldn't expect. I mean, like, walking into the experience, I knew that there was the, uh, what they call the climate simulator, which is the only room of the ship with an open roof and a view of the sky. And, you know, I expected it to just serve a very functional purpose, where it's like, okay, <clears throat> this is a space for people to go when they need to kind of take a break from the experience. They're feeling a little bit claustrophobic. They need to see the sky. They need to feel fresh air. They need to feel sunshine on their face, whatever. Like I was not expecting it to be a play space in any way. And it's, it's, you know, it's this beautiful environment. Uh, you know, you walk in and there's this, uh, uh, area in the middle with kind of like a, a Zen rock garden and it's got plants all along the walls, uh, and it's right next to the uh, lightsaber training dojo. And so the, the Saja kind of come in and out of uh, the climate simulator a lot. And I, I mentioned uh, Todd Martins, who uh, wrote the piece for LA Times. He was telling us that uh, he was in there because he had to respond to some work emails. And uh, <clears throat> so he was just sitting on one of the benches uh, checking his emails and the Saja walk in and one of them kind of singles him out and says, you look stressed. Uh, let me, let me guide you through some meditation. And uh, so they walk him over to the kind of Zen rock garden in the center of the, the climate simulator. And uh, the Saja puts a hand on his shoulder and uh, says, pick a rock. And he does, and he sets it down and, uh, then the Saja tell, tells him to hold out his hand and, you know, feel the force flowing through him. And the rock, you know, the rock starts to float. And, <laughs> like, I did not see this thing. But it's like the fact that, you know, there are these sort of hidden experiences and little moments that you get, you know, that aren't set, kind of separate from the bigger missions and the bigger story and whatever else. It's like, it's just so interesting and so cool yeah and i and i think i think speaking to the whole experience it's one of those things where you know you hear a lot of the the you hear like lens review and even like you know tom corliss's review and whatever else this is a hard experience to put a price on 
Mm-hmm. Like it is so unique and so interesting and so special. And I think for us, it really does represent like this sort of weird 10 year culmination of we've seen this tech get built out. We've played with this before. Like this is sort of the ultimate, the ultimate version of it. And, you know, to me, the only like semi disappointing thing of the whole experience is kind of the Batu excursion. Yeah, it, it's I, I talked about this. Uh, so bef- before we get into the Batu stuff. Oh, yeah. How about how about t- we take a quick break? We can do a podcast break, and then we'll get right into P- Batu. How's that sound? Yeah, it sounds great. Get some water. Perfect. Exactly. Water break. So we'll okay. see everyone on the other side of this break. Welcome back, everyone, to part two of our uh, I don't know Halcyon slash Doctor Doom ain't that bad after all podcast. <laughs> um. Joining us again are uh, David and Haston. Thank you again, gents, for joining us. Um, no problem. Also, I really do appreciate uh, your mentions for writing for the blog recently. Uh, Haston did an article on the past roughly decade of, um, as he was hinting at, decade of work that Imagineering and Disney Entertainment's doing, uh, whether through Legends of Tomorrow. Was it Legends of Tomorrow? Legends of Frontierland. Legends of Frontierland and Escape to Tomorrow, right? And uh, the, the Optimist. The Optimist. Which the Optimist. Into the Tomorrowland movie. To Tomorrowland. It's, it's okay. All, it, yes. It's okay. all a lot. Gotcha. Gotcha. All that stuff. Um, also, David got me, and I poured myself a small little gin and tonic in the uh, what, what was it? The Mustafarian drink glass. Uh, I can't remember exactly what it was called, but yeah, it was it was the Mustafarian something or another. It yeah. Was, uh, fiery and spicy and all that good stuff yeah and it's it's got like this really like legit base uh with the chalandria starline logo on the insignia on the bottom and it's a it's it's actually like a really nice solid glass too oh yeah merch and drinks and and more we'll do more but thank you again i'll make sure to link all that stuff to the main blog so you guys can uh, read that all but um yeah let's let's discuss batu how is uh, yeah, the so, two excursions? So it's interesting. We had had this first night of these highly immersive sort of interactive things. And everything you kind of do on that first day and that first night kind of sets up your day on Batu. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that first night you kind of uh, uh, get your assignments for what you're going to be doing on Batu the next day uh, through the, the Datapad app. And it just so happens that every character you interact with can't go with you to Batu. Of course. Uh, so yeah, we, uh, and before the, before the excursion, you're, you're given an assigned time to head down to the planet. I don't think that matters too much because there's, there's basically, uh, the, the transport ships go back and forth every, what, like 15 minutes, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so if you miss your assigned time, like I'm sure you can just catch another one. It's, I imagine just to try to. Spread people. I I heard Bricker took the first one out, all that kind of stuff. So I think you can just go whenever, maybe even. Yeah, I think we what we we went down at like eight thirty something like that. Yeah, we had breakfast first on the ship. Um. So yeah, we uh. So you before you board the transport uh shuttle, they uh have everybody gather in the uh, climate simulator, and they kind of go over some of the rules. it's the one part of the experience where they require masks uh, at this point because it's nope, they, uh, they, they, this is tomorrow. Yes, 
just recently stopped doing it. <laughs> uh it, so yeah, for us they they handed everybody masks and then they also handed everybody uh, a, a Chandrilla Starline uh, pin that uh, you know they said is optional to wear, but it's encouraged and it's you know that's sort of your signal to cash members in the land that's like oh these are the people who paid five thousand dollars to be here um, and which you know I have I have some thoughts about but. Uh, you know, from there, you board the, the transport shuttle, uh, you take the trip down to, uh, uh, down to the park, and uh, you, you board, or you enter the park through the new entrance area behind uh, kind of the, the first order base that they have set up. And uh, it's all well done, you know, like the the, the, the actual transport is fine. Mm-hmm. Like it's completely serviceable. Like, you know, there's no windows, there's no video effects, but, you know, you've got a, you've got a, you've got a, uh, you've got an RX droid voice and, you know, some music. It's fine. It's serviceable. It's not great, but it gets you there. Uh, and, you know, the, the transition is super seamless too. the, uh, you know, there was a lot of, uh, discourse around the box trucks but it's like mm-hmm. you never you never see them when you're in the experience you, but my yeah. favorite thing and we forgot to mention this is in the rooms you know you have this virtual porthole this virtual like space porthole um viewport that's the word i was looking for and so when you're on batu while you're like getting up and getting dressed in the morning and getting all ready and you've got your shade up and whatever all of these little transports are flying back and forth that are that are that are shuttling people to and from Batu, it's 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 kind of great because it's kind of this visual reminder. It's exactly like when you're on a cruise ship and you see like all the you see all the like tender boats like 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 going to port and then coming back. Mm-hmm. It felt exactly the same to me. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. And it I heard this that. Sort of like- I heard that's similar to like whenever if you were in your room when, for example, you're on the bridge and you have to jump the light speed, it'll show it on the room, all, the yeah. room screen also. Yeah, everything's totally synced up in that way. Okay. So, uh, you know, what's happening on the bridge will uh, change the view out the window for everybody on the ship, which is kind of fun. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you uh, the experience of actually getting down to, uh, you know, air quotes, the planet is uh, is is fairly good and fairly seamless. Like, you know, it, it like you never see the truck, you never see uh anything that you know breaks you out of the immersion of it and then you get into the land and you know you have your assignments through the data pad and they're all you know they're all fine they're all sort of uh slightly more elaborate variations on what the the kind of uh assignments that have existed in the uh data pad game for you know three years since the land first opened you know you have text conversations with the characters. You go, you know, they send you to a place to scan a crate or hack a terminal or, you know, intercept a transmission or whatever. And then that leads you to do something else. And, you know, you're you're setting up things that will uh, pay off in the story on the ship later that day. So, like, for us, one of the things we had to do was... Uh, find the make contact with the owner of the toy shop to forge a 
replica of the of the jewel for the heist so that they could uh-huh. swap it out on the ship. Um, so, you know, all the all the assignments you have on planet are directly uh, teeing up things that happen in the story later on the ship. So I mean, even the two attractions, right? Like maybe the neatest thing about going to Batu, and obviously they already had this, you know, if you played Datapad, you got a different introduction from Hondo before. But specialized introductions for if your entire group doing the Millennium Falcon is part of the Halcyon, you know, are Halcyon passengers, or if there's some people that are Halcyon passengers, he'll specifically call that out during the introduction and during and when you exit the mm. and when you exit, you know, the cockpit of the Falcon, he'll be like, oh, I'll get this coaxium up to Batu, you know, or up to the Halcyon, yeah. the Halcyon you know, as, as you know, to, to help the resistance. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so they they use that <clears throat> uh, interactivity that they built in with Datapad uh, to some fun effect on uh, Smugglers Run. The ride itself is exactly the same, but yeah, the sort of intro you get and then the post-show audio, there's uh, a little bit of difference to uh, tie it in more explicitly with the Star Cruiser story. Rise is the same. Uh, the, you know... There, none of that stuff, I think, was ever built in to rise in the same way that it was with uh, Smuggler's Run. Mm-hmm. But there, there's still aspects of that story are still referenced once you get up to the ship. So the idea that, you know, uh, you were uh, on a resistance transport that was intercepted by the First Order and you, you know there was an explosion on the ship and you managed to break free. Like that will be referenced uh, by characters in, uh, in the story on the ship. Um, and I forgot Lieutenant Cole actually rec- recognizes when you get off, when you get back on, like as part of his story that like all of you that played double agents down at Batu, he heard you did a real good job that he, he made sure that you got out of there without, without getting killed. It was him alone that made <laughs> sure that you escaped. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the 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 none of the Batu stuff is bad. It's you know, I like Galaxy's Edge. I've always liked Galaxy's Edge. Obviously, I wish that it had been built out more the way it was supposed to be. Um, but I think from the perspective of being part of this experience, it, it was the one aspect that felt a little bit like uh, it was less impressive than it could have been. Um, To me, it felt like there was a real opportunity to use Star Cruiser as an excuse to sort of backfill some of the interactive layer that was supposed to be part of Galaxy's Edge back into the land. And that just didn't materialize. The Mm -hmm. the stuff that you do in Datapad is fun, but it it's nothing that should be behind a five thousand dollar paywall. There's there's nothing that none of that should be exclusive to, uh, you know, people who've paid the extra money for Star Cruiser. Like anybody who wants to do those kind of experiences should be able to do those kind of experiences. Obviously, the ones that are part of Star Cruiser are tied directly into that story. But you could have more elaborate missions in that vein that just the average guest could do, which they have built out and have been sitting in the the back end of the app for three years now, uh, 
and they've just never pulled the trigger on. Behind a $5 in app purchase, it's been set up for forever. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll see that someday. Uh, but no, like, it, it feels like there could have been an opportunity to interact with characters like Vimerati and, uh, you know, kind of the First Order agents they have in the land. And, you know, mm-hmm. we saw that they have the uh, that Hondo Onaka rubberhead that, uh, or it's not even really a rubberhead, it's just a, a makeup prosthetic, but, you know, that came out for one of the press days and has never shown up again. It's like, use some of the Star Cruiser money to get those characters in the land as, uh, you know, a, a point of contact for players coming down from the Halcyon, but also to boot, uh, boost the experience for people in the land, right? Like, some of the benefits of the experience could trickle down to the average day guest, but it feels like there is an unwillingness to do that. This comes, obviously, with the caveat that, you know, character interactions in the park are still restricted due to the pandemic. Like, they're still up on the platforms uh, Mm -hmm. at least six feet away. So, like, there's the possibility that some of that could come later. I just, given... Disney's track record on this stuff, I kind of doubt it, but I would love to be proven wrong on that. I, I could see um, the, I could see a situation where, you know, like even if you're brought up on the stage where the the where the um, spaceship is in the Rebel base area, mm-hmm. like it doesn't have to be very complicated. But at least you know these people are you know Rebel sympathizers. These are helping the first order whatever could definitely add some you know it could improve the area a little bit just add a little spice to it um yeah for sure yeah and it's kind of hard because you go down to florida batu and then you realize this would be so much better if this was happening in batu west in disneyland batu because you go down there and it's a theme park and you're kind of like you have not been in a theme park environment for uh, almost a day at this point in time. Mm-hmm. And when you get down there, it's kind of a shock. You know, oh, all the families are running around looking disgruntled as whatever. We've got people asking us where the bathroom is because we're dressed <laughs> up and we're wearing that pin and we look like cast members. Um, and then you've got families that want to take pictures park, with you park maps. because you dressed up. Yeah. yeah. Like it's very, 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 very strange from a Which is, like, oh, that's right. This is a theme park. And honestly, I didn't even think about being inside of Disney's Hollywood Studios until I saw at the because we took the X Wing photo at the X Wing photo op, because you know, my uh photo pass still worked. Um we took the X Wing photo and there's a little there was a little Disney's Hollywood Studios flag next to the photo op, you know, one of the like <laughs> flags. And that was the only thing the whole day that reminded me of like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm in studios. Cause we didn't go beyond the edges of Batu. We kind of wanted to get everything done and get on the ship. As yeah. Fast as possible. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't go to the faraway lands controlled by, uh, ancient by giant, races of yeah, giant, giant, giant mice. Giant rodents, yeah. Giant we rodents. did meet up with a local, we did meet up with a Vaughn on planet. Though, I, I've heard. Of, yes. That very was nice. a lot of fun. And that was absolutely awesome because it was just like kind of a fun reminder of what you could do with this. Yeah. I mean, I will say as sort of underwhelming as some of the Batu stuff was like, if you're doing the star cruiser experience, I would still recommend people, uh, 
go down to uh, go down to the park and at least get your handful of uh, assignments done, and you know maybe pick up the one free drink they give you uh, at uh, Docking Bay, uh, and then head back up to the ship. I think there is, and this was something that. Uh, Bricker talked about in his write-up of the experience. I think there's some temptation, especially for people who have been to Galaxy's Edge before, to say, oh, well, you know, I've seen that. I don't need to do that. I'm paying all this money for this new experience. I want to spend as much time in there as possible. Um, from a story perspective, the uh, there are sort of significant pieces or significant reasons to go down to Batu and to do those uh, those parts of the missions. And then just from an experience perspective, there's not a lot to do on the ship, I think by design during that time. There are a couple a couple activities in the early afternoon, like uh, the Cantina Chronicles. I'm right, super like, bummed we missed that. Like in the in the sublight lounge, uh, in the bar on the ship, there's uh, sort of this non-alcoholic cocktail tasting where what they oh okay uh where the the bartender uh gives you you know this sort of flight of drinks and each drink has a story associated with it and uh we we got up to the ship too late to participate in that but i went in and played some hollow sabak and kind of heard like the tail end of it when it was happening it seemed kind of fun but it's not like none of those None of those things are explicitly tied into the the story of, you know, the, the bigger story of what's happening with the Resistance and the First Order and Wraith's crew and all of that. Uh, like, the... I think there was some... Again, there's some hand-wringing online over some of the sort of additional activities, whether it was the, uh, the Space Bingo or the Dance Lessons or the Cantina Chronicles, and... They're very hit or miss. Like we did the uh, we did the space bingo, and it was kind of kind of a little bit of a fail. I think they they made the mistake of allowing people to play in groups when they should not have, and so uh-huh. it was an eternity before anybody got bingo. Uh, <laughs> so. Also, there needs to be prizes. Like this is a five thousand dollar cruise. How is there not like a free ship model or whatever else for playing these games and participating Something. in these? Experiences? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the, uh, you know, the, so the, there is stuff to do on the ship during the, uh, but to excursion time. But like, if you are invested in the story, you're going to get kind of the most bang for your buck actually by going down to, yeah. I, I would say the best thing to do now that I've seen the full experience is go down, uh, use your lightning lane on Falcon and do that. So you get the custom audio. Like do the other experiences, but but you but say the attraction is down in the data pad, so you can do all of the little mini missions, and then if you want, skip rise because it's yeah. the it's the it's zero change from the default experience. So if you're very familiar with Rise of the Resistance, like just tell you know whoever assigned your mission, like oh it's down, and it'll give you alternative things to do to 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 check those same boxes. Okay, and you can still go back and do it later if you want to, but. Like I would say, the only thing I would skip would be Rise because it's just it's a lot of time commitment for the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one, so one thing I I think that's very interesting 
that y'all mentioned that is very different from the opening of Galaxy's Edge is the fact that y'all are wearing uh, like outfits there. Yeah, and, and and you're being approached. A lot of, a lot of which, people in like full on cosplay, like not which, just like like we were kind of going for like yeah. Star Wars Galactic Citizen. A lot of people doing full on character outfits. Like there, and, there was a couple that yeah. was dressed as uh, Togruta, like the same species which, as Ahsoka, with like the whole headpiece and everything else. Completely colored their skin and everything. It was phenomenal. I just hope they did not go all uh, like Sharpie and vodka in the bathtub like uh, some other fans did. But like the idea that <laughs> like that's a very specific reference, everyone. Um, but what's really interesting is that like the opening of Galaxy's Edge, they were so against everything. And which, now which they're leaning into it. Yeah, it's always been yeah. stupid when you compare it to Potter. But like it's very right. interesting how this is going. And now now <laughs> after it opened – all their worries are coming true, but it's not necessarily a problem, or maybe it'll be a problem. I don't know. It's just very interesting to hear how they originally went and said, hey, you can't do any of this. Don't even have your lightsaber out. Don't even do this. Don't even think about it. And now it's like, come on in. Yeah, and and, and it's interesting. I, I wonder how much of that is, again, how much of that benefit trickles down to the the average day guest and how much of that is... Security was told, oh, the people with the little gold pins, don't harass them. Everybody else you can harass, but the people with the gold pins, leave them alone. <laughs> uh, so that that's that's something that remains to be seen. But I, I hope I hope that's a benefit that has trickled down to everybody. Yeah, and so it's just, it's interesting, because I don't know how much of that is an actual change in policy for all guests, and how much of that is security was told, oh, don't harass the people with the gold pins. You can harass everybody else, but the people with the gold pins paid the extra money, so they get to wear costumes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that remains to be seen, but I, I really hope it's something that changed for everybody because it's always been a bit ridiculous to me that Disney has been so dead against allowing people to, you know, show up in costumes, even the costumes they sell in the land. Like, you know, yeah. Universal's been allowing people to show up in uh you could wear your robes robes. yeah wear the robes you buy here go out and land right where it's like meanwhile oh we sell jedi robes here but don't wear them in the land got to take them home can't you know you can you can put them on to pose for pictures but you have to immediately take them off after that like it's just always been very dumb and hopefully uh star cruiser gives them some leeway to loosen up on that a little bit but you know we'll see Mm-hmm. But yeah, so otherwise, you know, I think that I think the totality of the Batu excursion is you both get to do some unique things in Galaxy's Edge that you've maybe not done before. It's not super important, but it's important enough to the story. And I, you know, I would not call it like oh, they're giving you a complimentary theme park ticket and lightning lanes. Like they are, but it's really such an integral part of the story and the experience. And you're gonna you're not gonna want to spend the day. At, you can't spend the day at studios and then come back later. Like you basically have to, you know, do your stuff and then get back because there's stuff to do. The moment you're back on the ship, you know, that your magic band is recognized and you're getting missions already from the characters that know you. Yeah, that, that was the interesting thing because the we, we sort of figured out that the the characters are basically on the shift in kind of sta- or basically on the ship in kind of standard eight hour shifts like uh like three to eleven, basically, um, and so. But if you get back to the ship before three o'clock, 
uh, we all got uh, uh, notifications in our data pad where it's like, hey, I see you're back on the ship early. Uh, here's some stuff for you to do. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, so there's... We, we still had some downtime, but there, it, it was definitely a situation where we could keep pushing that story forward even after... Uh, and just like the first day, like once four o'clock hits and the last Batu shuttle gets back, it's like, that's when like it's pedal to the metal again. And mm -hmm. like everything starts happening. That's when the bridge scenes that we talked about earlier start happening. That's when, like we had our lightsaber training which we haven't even talked about the lightsaber training yet. Oh yeah. The lightsaber training to me is um, a mediocre experience wrapped up in so much story and heart and presentation and style and everything else that it goes from, Oh yeah, of course, Josh tomorrow waving a stick around, you know, hitting a light beam doesn't look that interesting. But when that's presented in the right context with the right actor, you know, giving you this feeling, it's transformative. Mm -hmm. Would you this would you say that that's more like Ollivander's than the actual Savi's experiences? I would say I would say this is next level. I would say okay. that okay. Savi's is pretty I'd say Savi's is more comparable to Ollivander's, and this is something kind of in a class of its own. I got you. Like Tom, Tom Bricker in his review talked a little bit about kind of the mechanical nature of it. And he's not wrong. Like from like the, the actual game of it is not super interesting. Like, you know, you're holding a lightsaber, there's uh lasers firing out of the wall. You move your lightsaber in place to deflect the late laser, uh, rinse and repeat. Um, like, but that's, that's not the the focus of it. The the actual kind of like we were talking about with the bridge stuff, the mechanical element of it is just a vehicle for for storytelling. And the the whole experience really feels like it has something I've always felt was missing from Galaxy's Edge uh, that's important to Star Wars is kind of the more spiritual component of it, you know, with the force and with the idea of kind of tapping into something bigger than yourself. And, you know, you're in this experience with uh, with one of the Saja and, you know, I'm sure uh, I'm sure all of them are great. There are a few Saja on the ship, but, uh, you know, there was kind of one guy that we kind of kept running into and he was the one that was in our lightsaber training. And he was just so phenomenal, so, uh, so committed to the character, so in tune with, uh, you know, you sort of emotionally, like talking to this guy for uh, five minutes, you feel like uh, you could tell him your entire life story and he would be genuinely interested. Like uh, super, super great performer. And the experience is all about sort of, uh, you know, there's, there's the physical aspect of it. Uh, there's the physical aspect to it but it's framed more around sort of this uh, meditative experience of, you know, uh, breathing exercises and focus and, you know, letting go of your, your physical surroundings. And it builds to a place where, you know, like Luke in the, the first movie, mm -hmm. you are, uh, 
you're told to not look at where the uh, remote is pointing, not look at where the laser is going to go, but uh, feel through you uh, where the laser will be. And it's, you know, so the way they, they've set it up is it will, uh, the remotes project uh, a target indicator and then the laser fires at the target indicator. So you kind of have a chance to move your lightsaber into place um, and, uh, you know, anticipate where the beam is going. And then after a certain point, the Saja turns off the uh, the targeting indicator. And so you are told to try to anticipate where the beam is going to go. And the way it mechanically works, I think, will be obvious to most people. But the... It wasn't obvious to me. The, the way they sell the... Uh, <laughs> The way they sell the experience makes it feel really powerful. Like it, it's, it, it's so, it's so good and it's so moving and it's so it taps into you know, the stuff that has always really attracted me to Star Wars. This idea of you know, like obviously the Force isn't real, like the Jedi aren't real, like it's all pretend. But there is an element to. The, spiritual, the spirituality of Star Wars that has always really appealed to me. This idea of, you know, uh, you have this uh, religion that had sort of got caught up in its own dogma and, you know, kind of got in bed with politics and ultimately failed, but there is this bigger, deeper truth uh, and this, you know, bigger force that... Uh, connects people and binds the galaxy together. And there's something very, there's something about that that resonates with me. And this is what this experience is playing on. It's, you know, about your connection to, your personal connection to this uh, larger thing, but also your connection to the people in the room. So you are, it's organized into rows uh, of like five or six people deep and uh, you rotate through the rows. And so the person it, the front of the row has the lightsaber. They are blocking the blasts, but then the uh, people immediately behind the the person with the lightsaber are given shields, and they mm-hmm. are, you know, there to catch the shots that uh, the person in the front misses. And so, when you get to the point of the uh, the targeting beam going away, you are not fault fo- if you have one of the shields you're not following the targeting beam, you are following the person in front of you. And so it's this, you know, you have this connection with the other people in the room that is facilitated by the experience and by the actor. And it's very, it was one of the handful of moments on the ship where like I, I was moved to tears. Mm -hmm. And I was too during that scene because again, this Saja performer was so, optimistic and so hopeful and so it's just not the kind of performer that you see in society today and it's weird like as or part in of Star that Wars story even. right as part of that story he felt so he felt like he was there for you mm-hmm. and you know again it's just just an amazing this amazing moving moment that um is like yeah. So what race? So what the, race is that then? The oh, so Saja is. It's not a race. It's uh, 
a sort of the religious sect or whatever. Yeah, or? it's sort of like a re- religious sect. It's the Visaja, you know, was it? Right. So, there, so there's a group. So they're like they're like Ted Lasso. Is what I'm trying to get yeah, at. <laughs> okay. Okay. Got yeah. it. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, and this guy has that attitude like throughout the whole thing, right? Like some lady had like a baby Yoda sh- puppet on her shoulder, mm-hmm. like one of the shoulder uh, baby Yoda things. And uh, you weren't. I don't think you were around. I don't, around I don't this. think I saw this. I he one of the Saja was in the main room. The the same guy who did our training, the really good guy, and he runs up to her and he grabs her on the shoulder and he's like. You've heard of him. <laughs> you know who he is. He like like just responding in this like ultimate hope and optimism and you know this idea of and she's just like I'm just wearing the Grogu shoulder puppet because I'm on the Star Wars cruise and he's just like totally into who this character is and what it stands for, what Grogu means to him. And like he's heard his story and he's seen, you know, he 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 saw the toys made by the toy maker. And it was just this he oozes this positivity and this optimism that we just do not see in these kind of experiences. Well, mm-hmm. and, and all the actors are so good at uh, responding to sort of the different levels of engagement Uh and, you know, so, some of them, uh, some of those levels of engagement positive, some of them negative, right? Like, uh, on the first night, uh, Sammy, the mechanic character, uh, he was, uh, we overheard him talking to a guy who was, you know, dressed up in a full Han Solo outfit. And, uh, you know, Sammy walks up and says, oh, hi, I'm Sammy. What's your name? And this guy says, oh, oh, yeah, I'm Han. And he's like, I don't think that's your name. <laughs> And uh, there's another situation in, uh, you know, we were talking about earlier, sort of the debriefing after the heist, where it's this very, you know, intimate moment and Guy is sort of uh, recounting the the story of, like, Ryloth's oppression and everything else. And, you know, there was uh, someone kind of doing the vlogger thing and Wraith just walks up right in front of them and... Uh, puts his back right in front of the camera and just kind of shuts it down. And like, they're really yeah. good yeah. at responding to this kind of thing. Uh, and, you know, the cast is incredible. Mm-hmm. And good. yeah, I, so through those individual experiences, like even if you weren't involved in the story at all, I think you would get hooked in, hopefully, by one of these experiences. Like, I get it. It's really hard. Like, we're bought into this stuff by default and it's hard to opt in, right? And it's hard because, you know, you hear a lot of people like, oh, it's this two-day Star Wars LARP. And it's like, listen, my boyfriend LARPs. Like, a a real-life LARP is hard. You're a character. You have stories. You have quests. You have stats. You you have stats you have to think about. Like, this is like casual, fun, you know, role play where, Mm -hmm. like, nothing really sort of matters. And you can just have fun. You can just explore and enjoy it. And And all the hard stuff is sort of being tracked by the the game masters in the system and you just have to you just have to be open to responding to that like you don't like it's great if you want to come in with uh a backstory figured out i think that definitely enhances the experience but you don't have to like you can uh like as long as you are open to participating in the story and you know being interested in the characters and following uh this path wherever it leads, like I think you will have a good experience with it. Uh, 
you know, you just have to be willing to engage with it on some level. And I think when you sense that engagement is right, when you sense about how everyone is engaged is honestly at the end of this experience, right? Mm -hmm. So you have all the story stuff goes down, you know, I'm planning some sort of like shutdown virus in the, in the, uh, cause I was on the first order side planning some sort of <laughs> into the ship system. And like the resistance is preparing for their last stand with, you know, Ray on board, like the bridge, the bridge, you know, mission shows like Kylo come getting ready to come on the ship you know, for the first order. And like, there's this big thing that's going to go down. And then this is when that emergent, you know, the ship loses power because of the shutdown that we've all put in, which is a very casual thing, a very fun thing. Cause he's <laughs> like, I need 50 people to do this. Yeah. And then there's actually a countdown of like the number of people that have done it. And you're like, maybe this is real. Maybe it's not, but it doesn't matter. It still feels like this shared collective thing. And the ship shuts down, and what actually shocked me is, is that there's show lighting everywhere. Like, even if you're in your room and the ship shuts down, like, the lights flicker off in your room. Interesting. And then, like, the, the red lights come on. There's a red light in the room. It's not all the lighting, but it's that main centerpiece. And then, you know, you everyone goes up to their original muster stations. What a great sort of, like, full loop. And then the big final thing plays out. And I think what blew me away is that even just... Even just less than, you know, 48 hours later, like, everyone knew, everyone standing in that room knew who these characters were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everyone was into it. Everyone was, you know, understood. Everyone was kind of hovering around their favorite characters throughout the experience. Like, even though it was such a short period of time, the emotional bonds that people had created with these characters, you could feel it. During that final experience. And there's the same kind of call call outs that we talked about earlier where, you know, uh, Lieutenant Croy is up on the the platform and sort of monologuing. It's like, I have control of the ship and, you know, I've rooted out the the resistant sympathizers and uh, these are the people who helped me. And, you know, he's, uh, you know, calling out specific people. And making in-jokes about these two kids who, like, couldn't commit to a side so they kept showing up to everything. Yeah. Yeah. no, it, it's just very, by the end of the experience, it feels incredibly personal. And this is the thing that ultimately they could not have done in Galaxy's Edge. Like, mm-hmm. the, uh, like everybody is sort of well aware at this point of the idea that there was a lot of stuff that was cut from Galaxy's Edge, whether it was the, the stunt shows, whether it was the, uh, the dinner show, whether it was sort of this deeper interactive element. And that is true. But what Galaxy's Edge uh, should have been would have still been different than what Star Cruiser is. The the type of stuff that Star Cruiser facilitates can only happen in this space that is self-contained, where you have a fixed number of people in uh, a, you know, a limited space for a fixed amount of time. And you can forge these react uh, these relationships over you know a couple of days and uh it feels i I talk about this in my review that i wrote for the website but this was the thing that was so special about legends of frontierland back in the day was it was this three month long experience where you know you got to know these characters uh they got to know you 
you got to sort of uh, forge these relationships in a fictional space and have that fictional space respond to you. And uh, the arc of what Legends did in three months they found a way to condense it down into two days. So by the end of the second day, like you feel like some of these people are your best friend. Like mm-hmm. it, it's it's really incredible how they were able to pull this thing off. And it adds into this element that we've now experienced afterwards that I have of it feels like this 48-hour fever dream that I lived that in some ways maybe it happened, in some ways it didn't. Oh, I met these amazing characters and got to interact with them, but I didn't wear out the stay of those characters. Like, there's this element of the time box that it's in is really short, but that short time box works really well for you get that emotional high, you get that moment, you get that whatever else. You don't get tired of it. It feels... You know, it feels real. It feels you like you've been on this story and these this adventure with these characters. And then it's sort of over. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. No, and, and there's a real there's a really wild sort of time dilation that happens when you're in the experience where like just the fact that there have been, you know, a dozen more of these by this point in the two weeks since we uh, did the experience, just mm-hmm. I can't wrap my head around it. The fact that every two days people are going through the same experience, like it, it's, it, it feels like there's part of me that uh, feels like there's part of me that would want to do it for like three days, but there's another part of me that's like, the the two days you're in it is just so much uh so much happening so much sensory overload that like you know i it took me like three days after the experience before i could turn my brain off to the point where i could actually like have a full night's sleep it's just (laughs) yeah so much is packed into the you know kind of 30 to 40 hours of the experience. Uh, and I've joked, it's like interstellar. You're in there for two nights, basically a little bit under 48 hours. And it feels like a week. Yeah. And then you come out and you're like, it's only two days. And now there's another whole group that's been through it. Mm-hmm. But no, it's in my review. The the one thing I regret uh, about my review is uh, in my review I said it's the most uh, ambitious thing that Disney has uh, attempted in nearly thirty years. That was a mistake. It's the most ambitious thing Disney has attempted in nearly seventy years. Because uh, because fundamentally it is a new thing and like. You look at the the Walt Disney World parks and Epcot and Animal Kingdom and even studios were conceptually ambitious in their own way, but they were very much uh, built from the mold that was established with Disneyland. They were, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, their theme parks with central hubs uh, with, you know, shows and rides and everything else where, you know, Disneyland, it looked at other stuff that was happening in the, you know, during that time and, you know, with world's fairs and amusements and uh, all of that. And 
sort of combined them in interesting, unique ways. And this feel, Star Cruiser feels like that. It's looking at things like immersive theater. It's looking at things like overnight LARPs. It's looking at escape rooms. It's looking at, uh, you know, uh, stuff like Meow Wolf. And it's combining all of those elements to form something that is fundamentally a new thing. And it, to the, to WDI's credit, like they did something that is not common for them these days. And they went to uh, talent outside of WDI and kind of found the, you know, experts in these various fields and recruited them to this project. Like they got, you know, they got people from the immersive theater world. They got people mm-hmm. from uh, from kind of these overnight LARP worlds. Like, you know, uh, Trowbridge talks about how he went to, uh, you know, what, uh, were they German uh, overnight LARPs or like somewhere in Europe? Yeah. Uh, but like, you know, they really did their homework. Or Nor- to, Norway. Oh, Norwegian. Yeah, yeah Norwegian overnight <laughs> oh, LARPs. <Lord>. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so like it, it's, it's pulling from influences outside of the traditional theme park space and there's there's just nothing else like it on the planet like you you can get kind of bits and pieces of it in these various things whether it's sleep no more or meow wolf or whatever else but there's nothing that combines them in this way to this level and i think it's going to carve out a whole new uh a whole new industry i hope that other people who take a stab at this do not uh, adopt Disney's sky high pricing of it. I think there that, we go. you know, <laughs> yeah. As as amazing as it all is, there's part of me that still can't get past the fact that it is so expensive. Do like you, I think. Do you want to get into the pricing aspect of it a little bit right now, just to, to just to get it over with before we talk about the rest of the experience? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think like thinking about it. $5,000 for two days starting, feels, starting. Yeah, starting feels like a lot. I think $5,000 for three days feels like it's getting closer to something that feels fair. Uh, and like, I don't think they should make the experience longer necessarily, but if you, you know, five thousand three days at $5,000, that works out to be like roughly uh, $1,700 a day like $3,500 for two people for two days, that feels more in the ballpark of what's, uh, what I feel is reasonable for something like this. Still a whole lot of money for a two day experience, but I, I think there's reason for this to be priced at an aspirational level. This is not something that the average person should be able to do every weekend or every month. Like this should be something that it's more special than that. This should be something that people uh, save up for. And is like a big deal, but I think they've priced it beyond the threshold of being aspirational to being simply unattainable to a huge amount of people, which is Mm -hmm. unfortunate. Like I think that, this is an incredible experience and anybody who is interested in what the experience has to offer should be able to uh, make that happen. But just realistically, you know, at a price point that is more than 90% of what the 
average American, sorry, at a price point that's more than what 90% of American families spend on travel in any given year, like that's really tough. And I think the frustrating part is, is that it's such an inclusive experience. You know, there were two little, there were two little trans boys on, on the first cruise um, playing on various tracks. And for the first time, I think in their life, they had experienced something where you could tell they were really into it and like who they were didn't matter because they were enjoying themselves and having fun and the characters didn't care and other players didn't care, you know, all kind of with the same goal. Right. They were accepted within that experience. This is such an inclusive experience. It pains me that the actual pricing is so exclusionary. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying Disney's not a business and they should give it away for free and whatever else. Or, or that Disney's not even it, slightly, you know, deluxe pricing. <laughs> it's that. Right. Right. I think what's really hard about this and this experience and talking about like who, what it is, is that it's so it's so unobtainable for most that. Um, it kind of just feels forever locked behind this wall. Like for a lot of people where Disney world itself is kind of unobtainable, like yeah. this is, this is even more right. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm like, I've always said I'm weirdly in the camp of, I think one of the neatest thing about galaxy's edge is we saw it pretty heavily transmedia so that people can experience it in ways that honestly the mm-hmm. line, the land was designed to be, experienced in the sims but couldn't like the sims like the vr experiences like other things right and i think that i hope an angle of that at least comes to star cruiser or this story specifically because right now they've created such an experience it can't for most people that story can't really be consumed besides hopefully watching people's youtube videos and like like a very kind of poor way to consume it Mm mm-hmm Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. Oh, and, you know, to get on to the, like, long-term concerns about cost, like, I'm – my biggest fear for this, given how amazing it is, is the future of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, it's it's a Disney project, right? So, like, the creatives are probably going to be let go in a few months. Like, it's going to be – you're going to be fully handed over to operations, right? Like they'll run it. It'll get slowly stripped away over time of, of, of interesting things. Uh, a, a cat, a, you know, a, a cast member leaves or replaced with someone not as good or they water something down or yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's that- a food quality decrease because, you know, the food margin isn't high enough or whatever else. And what concerns me about this experience is, is that it works in the way I think they created it at launch. And I'm just afraid that the Disney hands are going to get at it. And long term, it's going to it's going to decrease in quality and long term, they're not going to do what they need to do with it to engage, you know, the group of people who love it to come back. And I just I don't understand who the long term audience for this is like you do it once and you go, that was amazing. Maybe I could do it again. Right. Like I'm in the camp of like I could do probably one more time and explore the bits that I didn't explore. But that's about it. And it's like. 
you know, hotels, not that this is a hotel. Notice we've never used the hotel word the entire <laughs> the entire podcast. So this is a hotel. Like, How's the hotel? We didn't talk about right, the right. rooms. How's the water pressure? <laughs> These types of experiences, honestly, you're so tired. The fact that you can just get a hot shower feels amazing. <laughs> um, these type of experiences, like they're going to need that turnover and they're going to need story turnover and all of that. And I hope Disney is committed to that. But nothing gives me that indication that they are. And I, that's what I'm really afraid of, right? Is this another Disney quest? It's amazing at launch. And then nothing's touched with it. And, like, eventually it falters. They they, 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 re- they replace one thing and go, ah, we did something with it. And then the next CEO's in and it's gone. I, I think as gross as it is as it feels to say this, I think this could be the one saving grace of how damn much the experience costs is that, you know, look, people are paying $5,000 uh, for a two-night experience. Like, they expect an extreme premium product. And if they, you know, if they deliver any less than that, there's going to be uh, there's going to be some major uh, complaints of that. And, and, I, and I would argue immediate feedback based on that in-room AI. Right. Uh, which we didn't even talk about, which was no. one of the most amazing things. About the <laughs> yeah. I, talk, I mean, it, yeah. Like it, it's just like the fact that it, going into this, I, you know, like being, on the first cruise, I knew there were going to be glitches. I knew there were going to be bugs. I knew there were going to be things that didn't work all the way. But the one thing I was going to be super critical of was anywhere where the experience felt cheap. And it never felt cheap. Like, even even points of friction that we ran into were immediately smoothed over. For example, like, we, uh, we got into our cabin and we noticed that the thermostat bottomed out at 68 degrees. And we're like... That feels kind of cheap, like especially with people who are going to be dressing up in costumes and stuff like that. Like you should be able to set the thermostat lower. And getting, so, getting in from the Orlando heat, just right. So yeah. we we went to uh, we went to guest relations and just said, hey, you know, is there any way to uh, adjust the thermostat lower than sixty eight? And they said, oh yeah, no problem. And they sent somebody uh, down to the room to override the. Uh, the restriction on the thermostat and let us lower it down to, uh, I think we said it at 65. So not a huge difference, but like just enough to that, be a little an, bit more comfortable that, at That's night. enough. Yeah, that's enough. Yeah. Right. And, and so it's like the fact that, you know, they are, that the service is so good and they're so accommodating and stuff like that. Like it, it paves over, it, it paves over a lot of what could be, uh, perceived as frustrations. And I just like, that's the stuff I hope that, uh, does not fall by the wayside that, you know, where kind of in classic Disney fashion, things decline by degrees. And it's like, well, you know, if we can, we can increase our margins by X percent. If we, uh, don't let people change the temperature on the thermostats or whatever, like, but we'll see. I mean, who knows how this thing is going to look like a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, it's going to be interesting to watch. And, you know, 
it's going to be interesting to see how other players in the industry respond to it. And I think, too, that this is one of these things where if you're interested in this, like if you're listening to this and you're interested in doing this, like I would try to make it happen as soon as possible. Because I think that it's inevitable that this experience is going to change. With 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 within reason. Like right. don't don't go into crazy debt to do this thing like next month. But like I would say if if you're really, really interested in it, I would say try to do it within the next year if you can. Like God almighty, I really, really do not want to advocate anybody like maxing out their credit cards to do this thing. But like, you know, if you had a Walt Disney World vacation that you were kind of thinking about for this year maybe maybe take that off the table and put that money towards this and do a couple days at universal instead <laughs> you see you're playing right into the people who are listening to this podcast there you go well um, yeah i mean that's the other thing that's kind of that the the price point makes interesting given its location is you know it feels like given the fact that this is a two day experience that it's in walt disney world it feels like the intent for this was to be an add-on to a Disney World vacation, but it's priced at a level that it's a replacement for a Disney World vacation, right? Yeah. Like, very few people are going to be in a position where they're like, "Oh, we're going to spend, you know, we're we're going to spend uh, six, seven hundred, a thousand, two thousand dollars for the family to go to Disney World for." Uh, for four days, and we're going to add on Star Cruiser, like just out of the question the the number of people who are going to be able to do that are vanishingly small and so it's you know yeah it's a situation where if you're going to do this this is kind of your trip and like maybe you supplement it with other things that are uh more affordable but like sea world right uh, a universal day or two volcano bay something like that yeah no totally well then and then then also the question comes down to like Maybe Disney just rides this going until Epic Universe opens, and then people come down and they do Star Cruiser, then Epic Universe, and then head home. Like, yeah, like that's a possibility. But another thing, it's gonna be, yeah, I think it's yeah. going to be really interesting given the Florida market, like where this finds its footing, and if it does, and at what price point this finds its footing. Because it's important to note that, like, I hate the Doom articles about like nobody's booking the Star Cruiser. This is Disney Star Wars failing yet again. It's like, but what <laughs> concerns me is, is that there's a limited number of people that are going to pay this much for an experience yeah. like this. And what I would like to see is, is that I was, I'm really hoping that the good word of mouth, like, supports it in the perspective of keeping this interesting, unique experience well, alive. Like, and as we've talked yeah. about before, we hate the idea that this interesting, unique experience is kind of helmed at the time when the Walt Disney company is the absolute worst across the board. Yeah. Just real mm-hmm. pieces of shit. Yeah. And, 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 and what's, and from like, from my perspective, like I'm looking at like, and you're so, I, I talked to point is there's a lot of people who went on the media cruise that, you know, like I just don't trust like, yeah, sure. They liked everything. They liked, you know, Name it that Disney's done. They loved it. But mm-hmm. hearing from you, from y'all, from Len, from Tom Bricker, just actual, you know, like, and Mark Willard, actually hearing people go, yeah, this is the real shit. That gives me more hope and more excitement to actually do this than anyone that they would have invited and done 
hours of content with like well and, and let's I, be honest i i resort or whoever or yeah yeah and, and let's be honest disney's marketing for this has been apocalyptically bad like lucasfilm yeah. has started putting out a series of videos on the star wars youtube channel that are a lot better um but like you know going around this week has been that uh you know, Twitter ad of the, uh, you know, the two women dressing up in First Order uniforms yeah, and, yeah. Uh, like, hunting down Chewie. And it's like, that's not what the experience is. Like, you, you've got to sell people on, like, I get it. This is a new thing. This is going to be hard to sell. But even grading on that curve, like, they have done a spectacularly bad job communicating what this is. Because Disney, it, we've seen it time and time again, they're in this position where, they are such a, a fixture that they don't even really need to market themselves. Like they yeah, have, yeah. they have this one, this one mold for marketing and they just shove everything through that mold. And if it doesn't fit, Oh, well uh, they cut off as many corners as they it, need to, it, to make it fit. My thing is Disney feels like a retirement place where you go when you're done with your job and you can just do whatever. And that kind of is showing right here with marketing. Well, not marketing. I'm sorry. Not marketing. Advertising. It's not marketing. Mm -hmm. It's advertising. Like, it just feels like a bunch of old marketing people going, uh, it's like this thing. Just do whatever. And and that's kind of what it feels like. Um, but to come back around to another point you made about, like, um, not enough bookings, what I think is actually going to work in benefit, and I, and I brought this up back a while ago, and even when we were talking about, hey, is this sleep no more? You know, that kind of thing. Is like you – this isn't a hotel. You're not doing – you don't have to do this 365 days a year. Like, mm -hmm. like there's, an, there's an option. There's a, there's a path where this becomes a once-a-week thing right. or, a, or, a or, twice, a or a seasonal thing. Or a seasonal or twice-a-week thing. It's not a thing where this is going to be constant. Like it, it will be for I think. Believe I, I'm willing to bet for the next two years it's going to be every. It's going to be every day of every week. But like maybe on off off season, it's on the weekends only, and then during the summer and the winter, it's you know like two or three ships, you know, whatever a, a week or whatever. But like. The idea is like this is like a, a, a you can move it around. It's malleable. You ha it's a two day experience, and you can do whatever with it. So mm -hmm. have fun with and it. And eventually, the story can be changed. You know, the yeah. Halcyon is a very old ship, yeah. as we learned retconned. <laughs> the Halcyon is a very old ship. It's uh, you know in canon, it has existed for. 275 years so they can you know slide it anywhere they want on that timeline theoretically um but yeah it, it's it's going to be interesting to watch it uh as it progresses and i hope it ages gracefully and it's not you know already this thing is a major exception to the state of the disney company and parks and resorts and all of that like it feels it, it feels like a miracle given the uh, context that it's in, and I hope it continues to feel like a miracle. But Ken, Kendra we'll said, "Kendra has said, and I agree with her that it feels a lot like an Adventures by Disney in mm -hmm. space, where this will forever be this thing that's sort of carved out as its own special experience because it just makes so much money, 
And I agree with that. And I really hope that, you know, there's an element of it surviving. And I hope that for people, it does become more obtainable over time. Mm-hmm. I don't, well, I don't know if it'll I, ever become more attainable. Um, but I, I, I can definitely see how it could eventually be shuttled off to adventures by Disney and then they could just like absorb it. And then just, I, I understand where you're where she's coming from and where you're coming from with that. But also right, like, no, she sees it operationally as like, Oh, this is going to be its own entire thing for a long time. Or, or like, even they'll absorb it. Like, like if all else fails, Adventure by Disney takes over, just like how Disney Quest was taken over by you know you know that you know what I'm trying to say with that mm-hmm. a little yeah. bit. So like, I, it's 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 such a weird, different thing, and it, it and even more than I thought it ever would be. It's even a weirder and more different thing. Just yeah. hearing it from everyone who's been on it. And it can't operate. I think what's so fascinating to me about it is it's such a closed box experience. It can't really operate with any of its major operational pieces missing. And I think that's what a lot of people don't get is it's like, oh, well, what if you offered like a one day experience? It's like, well, why don't you why don't you just offer that lunch thing like that? You know, like uh, Jim Hill was saying, you know, like the four hour. Sure. But then it's like you're just eating lunch in another room. Yeah. Like. You know, it, this is such a sum of its parts, but the problem is, is that it needs all of those parts to operate. It sounds like almost like the antithesis of Galaxy's Edge in a way where it's more than the sum of its parts, while Galaxy's Edge is like slightly less than the sum of its parts. Yeah, like, I mean, it, it, it and, and this kind of circles back to something I was saying at the beginning where it feels like, you know, for any cuts, this thing may have had... Uh, they were able to hold on firm to the core of what the experience is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And in a way that they frankly were not able to do with Galaxy's Edge. I mean, they basically, at the end of the day, they basically traded everything else for Rise. And whether yeah. that's a fair trade is up to, you know, the individual person to decide. But Rise costs so stinking much money it basically took everything else off the table. All the more ambitious, interactive, you know. I mean, Rise stuff. Rise costs more than all of the Wizarding World, including uh, ha- uh, Hagrid. Yeah. Yeah, th- so that's how it, much it costs. Yeah. It, it's so, you know, th- that they were able to preserve this experience and make it work feels, you know, I keep saying it, it feels like a miracle and I hope that miracle continues. Okay. I mean, that's, uh, I think that's all that we had. Yeah. I think that's about it. So, so I guess the last questions I have are, uh, what about merchandise? Merchandise, 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 merchandise. Merchandise I mean, it follows all of the same, like, sort of Galaxy's Edge conventions of merchandise. Like, there's a uh-huh. lot of higher-end pieces. What actually shocked me is the price for all of it. It's kind of standard parks prices. Mm-hmm. Like, none of the mugs or glasses or, or jackets or anything else cost premium. Like, everything on the ship is about what it would cost in the parks. And I found that kind of refreshing. I was even shocked that if one person in your cabin has an annual pass... Everybody in that cabin gets an annual pass discount on most pieces of merchandise, not all. Oh, damn. Um, okay. But 
Yeah, so kind of a neat, you know, kind of a neat thing in regards to merchandise, and it's all fairly well done. The only bummer that you know, there's a, we didn't even talk about the ship has its own version of Sabak, oh, yeah. which you know you can buy in the store and you can play on the hollow Sabak table. Um, it's a brand new version that's a lot easier to follow. It kind of plays like draw poker, um, but with a random element. It's it's very well done. It's special to the ship. Uh, the only bummer that we ended up didn't end up getting from a merch perspective is there were supposed to be these sets of Sabak chips that they were going to sell, and apparently they just haven't come in yet. So we're still hoping to, that we can get our hands on those in the next couple of months when they do come in. But the merch, the merchandise game, I think is actually pretty good. You know, there's a lot of dress up stuff on the ship. I wish the dress up stuff were a little bit more generic. Yeah, kind of like The Sims, where it's like, oh, you can just pick an outfit of Star Wars style clothing. To to me, that was the one layers. sort of layers. Major, oh, yeah, to me, that was the one sort of major oversight in the the merch department was a lot of the a lot of the dress up stuff is literally just character costumes. It's like, oh, here's here's Padme's robe, here's uh Princess Leia's dress. Like it's it's character costumes instead of, you know, what I feel the experience demands is sort of like just Star Wars inspired clothes, like what the average person in Star Wars would wear. Like you are creating your own character. You're not trying to dress up as an existing character. Um but mm-hmm. no the other than that, the merch game is strong. It's uh, it's a lot of, like Hasten was saying, a lot of similar stuff to what you see in the land. You've got your lightsabers, you've got your jewelry, you've got your costume stuff, you've got your droids, you've got your figures, uh, you've got your glassware. Um, and it's priced pretty pretty on par with how things are priced yeah, in the land. Yeah, so the, uh, the, the, uh, the drink, the Mustafarian drink with the glass, this very nice... Hefty base, I think it was like forty like bucks. bucks, right? Yeah, yeah 40, so it, 40? It was 40, 40 bucks, including tip, because uh, gratuity is ah, gotcha. Yeah, they they include an eighteen percent gratuity on uh, all uh, because food food is covered, but drinks are not, and eighteen uh, percent gratuity is included. Yeah, totally, I feel totally like fine. that's a little bit. So the drink game. I had a couple of the mixed drinks from the Sublight Lounge, from the bar. They're weak. They're, the the alcoholic beverages to me were a little bit weak, especially even compared to like Oga's, which oh, is already really? pre-mixed and pretty weak. Huh. Um, they're, they're tasty, but yeah, they're, they're not, they don't have a ton of kick to them. But you can get any standard beverage that you want as well. Honestly, I'm kind of kicking myself for not just getting like a gin and tonic and seeing how they would have customized it to make it look more Star Wars-y, right? Like drop some food coloring in it or something. Um, and then your soft drinks, obviously, are completely included, even in, like, the bars and stuff. So you can get Cokes, Diet Cokes, uh, Coke Zeros. They have blue and green milk on tap that you can uh, nice. get for free. Um, nice. uh, yeah, so, you know, all that stuff is is pretty solid. I think we saw a lot of people hanging out in the bar, like the whole cruise. Like there's definitely a few bar heads who were on that, on that trip. Very nice. So, uh, next question after the drinks, as I'm holding the glass up right now, very nice, hefty glass too. Like it's a proper glass. It's not like bullshit plastic. Um, next question. How was the room? Room was good. It's, uh, feels very much like a, a cruise ship room. Um, 
the the bunks are... Uh, so Hasten and I both slept in the bunks, and then Nick took the bed. Uh, we, we figured out the bunks are probably about... Uh, uh, six foot four inches uh, long. So, you know, enough for, big enough certainly for the average uh, adult, but, you know, if you are particularly tall, you might want to take the bed. Um, Mm -hmm. The, the the weirdest thing, uh, which I think there's good and bad things about, uh, about the bunks is the, it doesn't have sort of standard bedding. It has like this. Uh, I've heard it's described as a gym mat. It's. It, I wouldn't go that far. Um, it's like the mattress is not super super thick, but I. It was you know it was comfortable enough. I, I've. It certainly uh, certainly beat the pullout bed at the Fairfield. <laughs> in, um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, but the. Uh, instead of like traditional uh, sheets and bedding and stuff like that, it kind of has like this comforter sleeping bag, um, which I think was super fun from a theme perspective. Uh, I didn't love it from a sleep perspective. Uh, I could see there being a situation and maybe, maybe if we had asked, they might have even had like more traditional bedding. uh, If we, it would definitely be a request on my next cruise when they talk about those early requests is to see (laughs) if I was doing it with a group of people again, and I was sleeping in the bunks to see if they could get sheets in the bunks. Cause there's no sheets. And I'm a big. Yeah. 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 I love, I love sheets. Yeah. It's just kind of that mattress. And then the, that's right. Like schmuffish. Sheets. Yeah. That's right. Sheets. And it's hard you're, too because, like, you're I, not a Wawa person. Your sheets. Per- I dyed no, up all my hair, so I felt yeah. really bad about staining this brand new, you know, so I like had to shower every night and whatever else. And with, if it would have been like traditional sheets that could have been washed and tossed and whatever, I wouldn't have cared as much. Gotcha. Gotcha. So I could see that being, and, you know, who knows? It could already be a by request thing, but I could see that being a thing in the future where it's like, you're given the option. Do you want the little sleeping bag or do you want, uh, I was surprised how many people they were supposed to sell the little sleeping bags and they never did. Uh, yeah, they're all in store, like stuck somewhere. That's, that's what I've heard is that they're trying to, it's, it's like the, um, it's like when they opened, uh, 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 Trader Sam's and they were, were trying to sell the Nautiluses, but they're all stuck in, Chinese customs because I was like when they did the customs uh, right. b- boycott or whatever or whatever so it's stuck somewhere so yeah but no I mean the room is completely functional like you know it's a separate mm-hmm. it's a it's a separate it I wish it was a separate toilet but it's not so when you're four people when you're three people getting ready in the morning yeah it's a lot like planned for a lot of time I mean the, um, the, the toilet has its own door but it's you know the the way the bathroom is laid out there is uh there's the main cabin, there's the uh, sink and shower area, and then there's the, the toilet area. Um, so every room does have a makeup mirror and a, and a, and a vanity little area. Um, the in-room storage is fine. There's a pullout um, there's a pullout uh, there's two pullout ottomans and a pullout um, table table. There's also a pullout bed. Yeah, in the standard cabins. Uh, for some reason, the it sounds like the uh galactic suite uh 
does not have uh, a pullout bed, which I don't know. I don't understand who the audience for the Galactic Suite is because it's you know Lumangelo. Yeah, that's that's who it is. <laughs> you're you're getting the standard cabin minus the pullout bed, and that plus you know like a little living room, but it's like. Who's going to be spending time sitting on a couch watching Frasier on their, uh, you know, five thousand dollars space cruise? Like it, it's like the uh, the grand the the grand captain suite where it's the two uh, the two cabins with the living space in between. That makes sense to me. But the the galactic suites where it's just the the slightly worse cabin with the the living space. Like I don't understand who's going to get those but you but know. the cabins are fine at no time i felt claustrophobic at no felt at no time did i feel like i was in a quote-unquote windowless bunker <laughs> um you know it, it it's it's totally serviceable and here's the thing you're playing the game you hit that bed and your brain's still going a mile a minute like we had a hard time getting to sleep both nights because you know obviously this represented a lot for us and this was really important to us but um you know, you're up right and early anyway. I mean, breakfast starts at what, 7 a.m.? Yeah, you know, it's like first, you know, and then that last day, it's just like a real cruise ship. You know, the store's not open. They want you off that ship the moment after you have breakfast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the crazy thing is, you know, disembarkation on the, the final morning is 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. And then uh, they're loading people on at 1 p.m. So there's a three-hour window when nobody is on the ship, which is just, you know, crazy to think about. A very tight, a very, very tight turnaround when it comes to, like, you know, getting that all set up. Which makes me wonder, like, maybe they will take a, you know, two excursion, like two ships a week or whatever, as opposed to, like, current three they're doing. Totally. Yeah, there's no on-site laundry facilities. They do it all off-site. Oh, so. Lord. Oh, God. Yeah, okay. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. No washing machines in space. No washing machines in space. Well, that's cheap, but, when, you know, whatever. I, I wouldn't say that necessarily, but... But no, the, 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 I really mm -hmm. like that the cabins are separated from the play spaces and they're not part of it involved at all. So when you're in the cabin spaces, you know you're just in the cabin spaces. There's plenty of room for ECV charging down the cabin spaces. They have dedicated cutouts where you can charge your ECV because they oh, wouldn't that's inside wonderful. of the room. That's great. Um, there's just there's a bunch of thoughtful design detail in all of it. You know, each 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 room has its own sliding door, not automatic door. It's a manual sliding door, but you just magic band in and, you know, it's very friction. I like how frictionless it is getting in and out of your cabin. It allows you to go rest for a few minutes and then, you know, jump back into the game or go use your personal restroom. Plenty of restrooms on the ship. There's a large restroom on both of the decks that have all the activities. Yeah. So, you know, it's just it's very it was very thoughtfully designed. Like I said, between the snacks and the water around the ship and whatever else, just very thoughtfully designed for knowing that people would be running around inside of this and kind of play in, in inside of this play space. Oh, and uh, good to know. Uh, we were told by somebody after the fact that uh, they have uh, like loner, like fuel rods uh, that you can get from the, uh, from the gift shop. If you go in and ask, like they're not, they're not on display, but like if you're, your phone is running low on juice and you need a charge and you don't have a battery. You can go 
get a fuel rod uh, from the uh, from the the gift shop for no cost. Oh, and the gift shop also has the standard basic like hotel things. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them free, some of them cost. You know, like aspirin and whatever else. It's just not out. Just ask. Yeah. 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 Okay. I makes, think that's the thing. The price that you're paying, just ask. If there's anything you want, just ask. Hundred percent. Yeah. I, I heard there's um. God. Uh, uh. So is there a merchandise limit? I've heard there's a merchandise there is. limit. Uh, yeah. So on most things, it is uh, one one per person. Um, on select items like the like the lightsaber and uh, I think maybe the the shield um, and the droid. Oh, and the droid. It's uh, two per cabin. Okay. Now, I did hear there were exceptions for people who were in large cabins. That's not published, but if you're in one of the, like, Oh, okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Hmm. All right. That makes sense. All righty. I mean, man, we're at about almost three hours on this podcast, and... That's a tenth of the experience. (laughs) Yeah. It, it, there's there's just so much to cover. I mean, there is, and we didn't even really like talk about D three hundred nine. You know, the in room droid, which is in play testing, which is amazing. You know, there's just there's so many little facets and elements to this that it's like there's themed television remotes. Like it's phenomenal. Like I just think Disney went above and beyond, and it frustrates me so much to then see them drop generic non poly DVC, you know, neck on, on the seven seas lagoon. Right. Like it, it, it's it, so frustrating. The state of Disney of where we are right now, that they built this amazing immersive interactive experience. That's so different, so special, such a unique offering, such a new world. And then to see them sliding backwards in the world that they're already established in, it's just, it's that juxtaposition. And then, so- and then Bob Chapek does the whole entire carrying the giant thing of, of like, car wash stuff and just trips and slides down the, the the hood of the car as he's dropping everything when it comes to don't yeah. say gay you yeah. know in, in florida and everything just just it, it, horrible horrible it it's a reminder of what disney is still capable of if they give a shit and yeah. unfortunately they just don't give a shit most of the time mm-hmm. yeah or they assume people show up which right. I no. which I think is exactly. the it, and that and that's why I think DVC has always been their Achilles, their not Achilles heel. Um, I would say it's definitely the poison as DVC is that they go well. These people always show up. We're right. fine, and and that and that's why I always think they're always going to be old DVC no matter what. No matter how many copies it's done, no matter how terrible it's done, it's like, well, we don't have to build rides. We got DVC. So, I mean, this is this is the problem with uh, Disney right now is that, yeah, they are over over 60, 70 years. They have established themselves as a as not just a vacation destination, but a cultural rite of passage where, you know, if you don't take your Disney, if you don't take your kids to Disney World at some point in their lives, you are a bad parent. Uh, that is the cultural expectation, and so yeah, 
they're in a situation where they know people are going to show up come hell or high water. And why put in the extra effort to convince people to come if they're going to come anyway? And I got to say, it's also frustrating to see that same marketing machine play out with Star Cruiser when they have to be hungry for Star Cruiser guests. And the Mm -hmm. the experience speaks for itself. But, you know, it costs $5,000 to get into the experience. Mm hmm. All righty, gentlemen, it's been a a privilege and a pleasure to to discuss everything with (laughs) y'all. So, oh, man, I need to go to bed. It's like 10 o'clock here. We started at seven o'clock. It's 10 o'clock now. I need to like go to bed eventually soon or I need I, I need to decompress from the conversation just as y'all had to decompress from the star cruiser. Yeah. <laughs> go, uh, go visit the climate simulator. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is just going to be me going to my bathroom and just like washing my face. <laughs> um, but so, uh, besides again, thank you for doing writings on park scope, uh, Haston and David. I'll make sure to link. Those. Oh yeah. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, big. I'll, I'll I'll link everything in uh, the uh, show notes so everyone can read that, or you can all read that at parkscope.net. Uh, but otherwise, where can people find you online at David first, because D goes before H. Uh, I am uh, on Twitter more than I probably should be at yeah. David M Doubt. Doubt spelled uh, D A U T. You can also see some of my writing. Uh, at uh, davidmdoubt.com. And then yeah. for me, I'm basically only on Twitter, at Haston, <laughs> H-A-S-T-I-N, uh, you'll, <laughs> where you'll find, for some reason over the last several days, several insanely viral tweets, with from memes to commentary to talking about the parks to, like, I, I like to call myself, like, I'm the consumer without kind of a bias like i have a great amazing real job in my real life and i like what david of fresh bake said the other day if he's like you're one of the only people that i know that goes to the parks that isn't like trying to get something out of it and i hope that you get something out of my constant consumption of these things (laughs) i i I mean yeah i i can't recommend y'all everyone following y'all so go do that so on behalf of everyone, uh, so yeah, we'll see you on the next episode. Um, I, I, so I said on the last one, like, hey, we'll do this an hour or so. Three hours later on this one, I, I, I who knows? Yeah, who knows? that's three months of content. <laughs> yeah, it's three months. Yeah, we're gonna be splitting this up on three months of content. Please subscribe. This is Parkscope Plus now. Uh, have a good night, everyone. Have a good day, everyone. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good night for all of us, but have a good day. Enjoy it. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Thanks, yeah. Joe. Yeah, you're welcome. Have a good one.